Jesus said, Behold, I come quickly. 2,000 years ago, his words came to pass. AD 70, Jerusalem surrounded by armies. The temple destroyed. Sacrifices ceased. The end of the age. So where are we at on the prophetic timeline of history? Jesus said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And that we have been made kings and priests to reign here on earth. The, the Revelation, Revelation Red Pill, the kingdom of God is now. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, now and forever. Amen. Hey guys, welcome back to Revelation Red Pill Wednesdays. We're your hosts, Leah and Michelle. So it's just the two of us today. Yeah. Just the two of us. We can make it if we try. Just the two of us. We we'll be raptured, you and I. No, we won't in the sky. Mm -mm -mm. Taking up in the sky. So, the feedback that we have had mm. from the past five episodes from Revelation Red Pill Wednesdays. Y'all are keeping pace. I'm so proud of you. Somebody left a comment today. And I get these almost every single day. New ones from fresh people. I am hooked. I'm I'm binge watching these. I'm I'm consuming everything. That's what that actually that was there was two. There was that that room from Samantha, and there was another person that came on. Samantha gets the A plus plus of all the thing. I told her she's like the best student ever. Um Go Sam. Go Samantha. So, so anyway, I, I'm just overwhelmed at the response for those of you that are ready. To expand the kingdom of God. I mean, it's just, it's to me, all of those comments, every single time I get one, I get an email, I get a comment or whatever, and I will let you all in on a little secret. Oftentimes when you send a really, really good one, we send them to our group chat with Corey and Surgeon Jason. So, and then they go, oh, that's so great. It's so awesome. And so you guys are absolutely making our day that you are tuning in and that, that this is resonating with you. Now, last week, I want to make sure in the chat that all of our audio and everything is going good. Last week, we had on David Sorensen. David came on and we intended to talk with him about kind of the origins of modern end times theory. We were going to go into Darby and Schofield and we had really prepped you guys for that. It's going to be the best episode. And frankly, I think it was just prophetic that I said it was the most anticipated episode because it really was I had no idea it was going to be that I mean I was hooked my jaw was like dropped the entire episode where he's telling this story the Holy Ghost was all over him we touched on it a little bit but frankly I think that the reason why God allowed that episode to happen first is because he wanted you to go back a little bit further mm -hmm. to start a little bit you know before where we were going to start to really lay the foundation through church history of what have people believed about the millennial reign since Jesus came. Yeah. Right? What what so there are end times, the doctrine of end times, the end of things, whether you want to call it the second coming of Jesus Christ, there is a scripture in Revelation that talks about a thousand year reign. Um, there is a resurrection before that. Of the uh, of bodies, and then the thousand year reign, and then there's a resurrection of the evil people, basically, and then the judgment. That is what Revelation 20 talks about, and fitting that into the rest of Scripture has been uh, kind of a challenge. A challenge. 
And once you get one piece in, mm-hmm. the other like pieces fall out. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, so what I want to do first off, because I think that we jumped in with Matthew 24. We jumped in with. We actually did 23 and half of 24. We're going to do the other half soon. and 25 very soon. Yeah. Either next week or the week after. We haven't decided. We'll see how tonight goes. And if we need to do a part two of this, we'll do that next week. And then so this will be two parts, whether we do it all tonight uh, or whether we do it next, next week, week and this week. So what we're going to do, and I think this will be really fun for you guys. So get out your notepads and you can follow along. Before you get to that, Surge is in the chat. So okay. I want to do a huge, huge shout out. I, most of you actually are tuning in to the Kingdom Roundtable Monday nights. Mm-hmm. I think those are at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time every single Monday with Corey Gray, Serge DeRosa, and Jason Heidinger and guests. And right? we stream those on our on our Resistance Chicks. But I would rather you watch it on their channel so that you can have the chat. We're streaming it on our channel just to get more people. But I want you guys to go and subscribe to the Kingdom Roundtable. Subscribe to Breakaway Kingdom Hub. Go to BreakawayKingdomHub.com. Well, these guys are putting out the content like someone said i'm consuming as much kingdom content as i can well they are where you're going to get it yeah no right that's great um definitely go and watch them and a lot of what they're focusing on is how do we apply the kingdom now now which is important um what i want to do is show you james says i know i'm hooked i want to show you guys the historical position of of the church and christians throughout history can i do another shout out yeah lw is in the chat What's up, Mike? So if you guys are not watching Liberty Warrior Nation, then you're not watching anything but Resistance Chicks. Okay? You need to be tuned in to Liberty Warrior Nation. Uh, LW over there is just absolutely killing it. LW, maybe you could put a link on Facebook um, to your channel there so people can follow you. Okay, so... What we haven't really gone over, a lot of people are saying, well, what kind of end times theology are you promoting here? Okay. (laughs) We get that a lot. What are you you saying? What kind of snake oil are you selling? Right? So I'm going to pose the question back to you. Oh, here it comes. What do you believe? What is your end times theology? That's good. I like it. Right. So there's four, about four main end times theologies and how people view uh, the end of days, the the ending of all things or the reign of Christ. So you have uh, what's called a pre-millennial Which is view, what it sounds like. Which means Jesus is going to come back physically before the thousand-year reign. You have a post-millennial view, which sees the kingdom of God expanding and getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And we are, and he comes back after the thousand year reign. Yeah. Okay. And the thousand year reign in the post millennial view is as there are, ca- there are cattle on a thousand hills when they shall reign for a thousand years. It's a indefinite number of years. Infinity. Yeah. It could be, well, it could be. But well, it's not indefinite. In, you're right. You're right. It's indefinite. It's indefinite. There's not an infinity number of hills on, on the earth. There are, there has, there is a yeah. number. We may not know what it is, but exactly. there is one. Then there is an all millennial view. And an all millennial view sees the kingdom of God being worked out in our hearts and in our souls and revelation as mostly allegorical. And there have been many different viewpoints of this. And then there's a newer one to which many of you subscribe <laughs> that has never, ever in the history of the church been the position of the church because dispensationalism was made up 150 years ago. 
So pre-millennial. We keep saying 150 years, but I mean, we're kind of getting old here. Is it? It's it's like 175. Well, yeah, truly it is. So John Darby, the Plymouth Brethren, and a guy named Edward Irving um, kind of hashed out a new, brand new way of viewing things called dispensationalism. Guys, like legit, you can say that pieces of dispensationalism were in the history, but Darby made it up. Okay, it's like Henry Ford and the model model That's a That's a good car. example. Henry Ford invented the assembly line. He legit invented the assembly line. Mm -hmm. Okay, now, have people always been like, hey, let's kind of line up and do some things. You know what I'm saying? Like, hey, this kind of works well. Yes, but he's the one that invented it, that coined it, that had the nefarious view behind I want a nation of workers not a nation of thinkers and so when we talk to you guys it's hilarious to me and i'm not making i'm not laughing at you when i try to tell you that part of this dispensational teaching around the same time was created the idea of what is called a secret rapture and i know that i have gone back and forth with somebody in the chat it's not called a secret rapture <laughs> it's called they called it in the 1850s those who were what the heck is this? What are you talking about? If you look in history, and I'm reading a book from 1887, by the way, so that I'm up on this so I can teach it to you guys, about the Plymouth Brethren that John Darby was a part of that created the secret rapture and dispensationalism. They all called it the secret rapture. Now, the name has fallen off, but secret. it's the exact same because thing. Because nobody wants to be associated with the conspiracy theory. And two... My dear brethren in the Baptist faith. Love you. Love, love. Just, 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 just for a moment. Y'all hate speaking in tongues. <laughs> Y'all hate prophecy. Y'all hate, y'all don't think that there's miracles and signs and wonders, although you hope that you have them. Your whole ideology and teaching you ready? was created by people who were spirit-filled speaking in tongues and prophesying. So what does that say? You are now caught in a, in a quantum thing in your brain. Well, wait a minute. If they were speaking in tongues and prophesying, that could be doctrines of the devils being created. So do I believe doctrines of the devils? But what about you guys? You believe in prophecy and speaking in tongues. Yeah, and I know people get it wrong. And I have seen many people who are not filled with the devil just get it plain wrong because they're human flesh. Okay. And then I can see the devil run with things that people do in their flesh. Mm, mm, mm. Now, we're going to get into a little bit more on the church history, but I wanted to whet your appetite for a second. It's wet. Okay. I'm hungry. The, Surge is here the, for the steak the and potatoes. rapture doctrine is one of the most new doctrines mm -hmm. in all of church history that has been accepted as legit real. But Leah... It's like a dang, it's literally not even kidding you. How? It was created at the same time as Joseph Smith was creating, and he was using this premillennial um, uh, theology and, and, and theory to create his thing. John Darby and this Plymouth Brethren made the secret rapture before a Jesus seven came back. Year tribulation. And let me explain why. Before that, for the first 1,800 years, mm -hmm. when Jesus came back, Jesus came back. He was just here. So 1 Thessalonians 4, 4. 
Let's just start with that. Would you bring it up and read it for us, Michelle? Oh, that passage. So pleased to do that, you know. We're just gonna we're gonna take an axe to the tree right now. All right. So there are two scriptures used. It's always that one. Because actually, I don't know why I'm. This is. I was actually gonna get to this afterwards, but I think I'm gonna pull you guys we in with this. Do it right. Because everybody keeps asking us about this. There are two scriptures. Now, the first scripture <laughs> is in Matthew 24. And while you're bringing that up, could you bring that one up too? In the field. And one shall be taken, the other left. Because mm -hmm. we're going to go to the Bible because we are not authority. We're going to let the Bible interpret, interpret the, the Bible. Bible as it ought to be, Leah. So the first one we're going to read, we'll get to 1 Thessalonians 4 in a second. So we are going to dispel the myth that Matthew 24, even though we are, we are discussing that Matthew 24 has been fulfilled in AD 70 mm -hmm. at the fall of Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. But even in that... I, I sang the song, DZ Talk. Loved it. And mm. we'll all be ready. The sun shall not, and one shall be taken. Okay. Uh, that was and a really bad rendition. That was okay. poorly done. Can you read You're that here scripture for, the for us? Yeah, I'm trying to find it here. I think it's at the end. Okay, for us in the days of Noah. Here it is. Okay, so we're still in Matthew 24. Both Matthew 24, 30, uh, 37. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. Can I pause there? And I'm really sorry. So there is a teaching out there that comes from the book of Enoch that talks about the Nephilim. Right? So a lot of times people will take this scripture and they will say, as in the days of Noah, and they will say, look at what they're doing to our bodies with all this craziness. We don't need to get into that. You'll know what I'm talking about. They're turning us into aliens, you know, that kind of thing. And they're saying, it's got to be as in the days of Noah. Guys, it's, it's much more simple than that. It explains it. Verse 37 says, as the days of Noah were, and then verse 38 tells us what they're referring to as they were eating and drinking, and marrying, and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. That's what they're referring to. Here's the thing. If you don't have... Not the Nephilim thing, which could totally be true, and I don't have a problem with that. But that's not what this is referring to. Yeah. If right, you Leah? Don't have, um, if you don't have context, you are going to be out on a limb everywhere. Okay? So, if you don't have context... All you have is a pretext, oh, which is on. a reason given in justification of a course of action that is not the real reason. Oh, geez. So now let me keep, let me keep the, reading. Of that hour, no man knows but the angels, but my father only. He, he's trying to say, but these are these are the things that you'll see. They'll be marrying, given to marriage. Okay. The two shall be in the field. The one shall be taken. Wait, wait, 39. Oh, I'm sorry. And knew not until the flood came and took them away. So shall also the coming of the son of man be. Nothing about Nephilim and bloodlines in there. Uh, then shall two be in the field, the one shall be taken and the other left. Two women shall be grinding at the mill, the one shall be taken and the other left. If you want this to apply to you, you better get a grain mill, by the way, and you better start working in your field. Uh, watch therefore, for you know not what hour your Lord doth come, but know this, that if the master of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have suffered his house to be broken into. Now, question. In the days of Noah, who was taken away and who was left? So, actually, it was the bad guys. The bad guys were taken away and so, the good guys were left. As in the days of Noah. Yes, ma'am. 
it would appear that the thief comes in and the good guy the good guy stays. The thief comes in and God is the thief taking away those who aren't following him. So scratch that off your list of rapture scriptures. Well, and we also get to the uh, the evil servant will say in his heart, my Lord delays his coming. And he begins to smite his fellow servant and eat and drink. And the Lord of that servant shall come in that day when he looks not for him. And in an hour that, why would it be that? And shall do what? Cut him, him asunder and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The coming is punishment and judgment, which happened in eighty seventy. Love it. Okay, so you don't want to be the one taken away. This is not a scripture for a, there, here's the thing. Nowhere in the whole context of that entire scripture does it say, and Jesus is going to take you out before bad things happen. He's coming to take you to punishment and judgment, which he did. And almost 1 million Jews were killed at the coming of the son of man in AD 70. Okay, okay, now, how are we tying this into the history? We're explaining the rapture. Okay, good. Yes. And the scriptures used Love to it. justify the rapture. Have you been following this? I am following. Okay. Yes, I thought we got off on a rabbit trail, but we're on the regular trail. We're on the regular trail. I'm on it. Okay, so 1 Thessalonians 4. All right, here we go. This is my favorite. Now, you guys have been asking us to get to this for a very, very long time. What verse do we want to start in? Uh, people are afraid. And Okay, for this, um, about... Uh, I would, all right, it's verse 13. Not 13. Okay, actually, I mean, it's better to back it up, but we'll just go ahead and do, okay. we'll do 13. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not, not even, uh, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so those that are asleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. I should have used a different version. Mm. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. And then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with, with these lords. Now, Leah. We just read Matthew 24 mm -hmm. and now we have read first Thessalonians four. And as far as anyone is concerned, those are directly correlated. They, the, you, you cannot separate them. Leah. With you can't separate it. I've been taught it in church. I've been taught it in church. You cannot separate. How are you going to separate that? How are you going to separate Matthew 24 from that taking away? Well, because in one, this, is, up in the class. one is warning you that he's coming in judgment. So the coming up and the meeting together with him in the clouds and then reigning with him. Hmm. Okay. You guys, even if you believe in a premillennial deal, mm -hmm. the reign starts then. Mm -hmm. There's no seven year tribulation there. Show me the money. It actually says, comfort one another with these words. It says, we which are alive remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds and meet the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. Now, this is referring, if you think it is referring. Now, we'll get to it later. If you believe this is referring to the, um, the resurrection of the dead bodies. Okay. This is what premillennialists believe. Mm -hmm. Many premillennialists do not believe. Well, it is. 
historically there was no seven year tribulation. Now I, I wish I wish I had knew, known that we were going to really get into this because this needs to be its own episode. However, it yeah. starts out with I would not have you be ignorant. It's not about you being taken away. It's about I would not have you be ignorant concerning those that are asleep. So what you, you study study sentence uh, and literature and and writing. All right, grammar. When we study sentence structures, paragraph structures, Leah, what is the subject that Paul is starting us off with? Those who are dead in Christ. Those who are there, those who are those who are dead. Roughly, when do we think that First Thessalonians four was written? What, what give me like a 15, 20 year gap? Um, about uh, AD 55, 60, probably. Okay, so Jesus died in AD 30, 33. Mm-hmm. So we're looking at you know 20, 30 years. Mm-hmm. Was Paul talking about everyone that had died and become a Christian from Jesus's death until that moment? Or was Paul talking about everyone that had lived from Adam on? Adam on. So the subject matter here is... What about my people who didn't know Jesus? Come on and preach it. Uh, they they were very concerned. Do you... you Guys, and again, this what we might need to do is take this and make its own, its own little thing that we that we we will, we will cut out because you guys have been asking about First Thessalonians four. The Jews were very concerned, and not just the Jews, but the Gentiles once grafted in were very concerned because they knew of something called Abraham's bosom. Mm-hmm. So wait a minute, we know that we're saved. We know that we are taken up with him to rule and to reign metaphorically spiritually speaking we know that we're but what about everybody else Mm -hmm. what about everybody else Mm -hmm. what happens to them yeah are they going to be in abraham's bosom forever when does that happen so that that's why they were concerned that coming to meet him in the clouds you know what that is so when the king defeats an enemy and comes into a town Mm -hmm. everybody goes out to meet the king and then comes into the kingdom. Okay. This is not a rapture. Certainly not a rapture. Of escapism. Of escapism. Certainly not a rapture. Show me the tribulation. The This is context, people. You have pretext. You have pretext upon pretext Uh-oh. upon pretext. Your rapture. Your raptures don't exist, and and now we're going to get into, and there's more to that. When we actually do First Thessalonians four, we'll yeah. dig deeper, and we will do cross references and all of the things that you guys are asking us to do. That was not on the docket for tonight, so we're not doing that. But just to give you an understanding of context mm-hmm. for where we're coming from on the rapture, most people use First Thessalonians four to say no, there is such a rapture. There is a taking away. Up to meet him in the clouds. And forever be with the Lord. I'm already forever with the Lord. With the the Lord. Bible tells us that we will we, we rule and we reign with Christ right. now. I'm not going to ever be with, more with Christ than I am right now. Yeah. Do you understand? We've already met up with him. If you are if you are saved and you are in the kingdom of God, you have already met up with him. Okay? What else? Yeah, exactly. And we'll go into deeper. That one's really easy and fun to uh, to break down. It's not as hard as you think. It's not as hard as you think. Okay, so we're going to get more into the rapture later. But let's go um, 
to understanding, and this is from the Encyclopedia Britannica, because so I want to bring you guys a kind of a neutral stance. Love I it. don't want to come to you from a from the all-millennial, the pre-millennial, the post-millennial stances, okay? I want you guys to see how the, the, the world and how Christendom has developed over the years, okay? So during the first 100 years of Christian history, and some of this is from my own mind too. It's not just all from, you don't have to bring this up for them okay. to read through it. Okay. Um, but you can do Encyclopedia Britannica, Eschatology, the early church, and you can put the link in the, how about you just put the link in there? But I don't think this is the same one. There's two of them. Um, okay. You should have a different window up. I told you, I said, is this the window? And you said, no. no that's not the window. You see, that's, that doesn't have all my links. I just had this one up. You told me to choose this one. No. Does my blog up there? Let's talk um, about it. <laughs> you'll see it. It's up there. I see it. Oh, you're right. Yeah. I never closed this one. Okay, here we go. Yeah. Okay. Um, so during the first 100 years of Christian history, the church um, taught a form of what we're going to call um, millenarianism, or I'm going to call it the millennial, or the, the, or Chileism is what it was called because Chileism is the work for a thousand. So you're a Christian and you're reading um, all these scriptures or you're, you don't actually have the text in your hand, but you're hearing, remember, we are so fortunate to have the Bible. Yeah. Christianity, the fact that Christianity developed at all is a miracle of God because your average person wasn't reading scriptures these these uh the four gospels and the greek new testament letters were handwritten copies and most of the time they were read from church to church to church to church and you kind of like had to memorize them mm -hmm. you didn't even get a copy of them and many people couldn't read right and many people couldn't read or get a copy of them as far as the the greater populace until 15 almost 1600 years later. And the fact that Christianity even developed by faith and by teaching, but by those scholars who had the word of God, who had these precious documents that were meticulously transferred um, by hand yeah. is such a huge thing. And you see these papyruses and some of them um, have tears out of them and then they'll go find another one and they'll they'll see this is the earliest document or this is the earliest document we have of the gospel of john and this is the earliest that we have of first corinthians and um so just put this in your brain that people didn't have a bible in front of them mm -hmm. to be able to um to do cross references or dissect or dissect thing dissect thing well they didn't have verses at the time it was just and a then, passage right then this is also kind of a sad point is that after the, space, the great separation in AD 70 between Jews and Israelites, the Christians couldn't go into the synagogues mm. and have access to those scrolls because yeah. any Christian, any, any Jew could go into a synagogue and open the scrolls and read them. Um, and that's what Jesus would do. That's what Paul was doing. Paul was going from synagogue to synagogue, opening up the scrolls and reading from the scrolls and showing them from the scrolls that Jesus was the Messiah. Yeah. Okay. So the fact that we have, Still, the fact that we have these New Testament um, teachings is amazing. And it wasn't until 300 AD that we had Constantinople brought in um, a bunch of scholars and priests and everything and said, okay, what's canon? What are we going to say that these are scripture? Yeah. Okay. So they have these oral teachings going around. And they have the oral teaching that went around that Jesus over and over 
would say, I'm coming quickly. So Revelation quickly. said, I'm coming quickly. Very quickly. The time is at hand. The kingdom of God is at hand. And they expected, so in the first 100 years of Christian history, the church taught some form of this thousand-year reign and, and, and that the word is, and you guys can write this down, P-A-R-O-U-S-I-A, perusa. When, they, when you see the word perusa, that's one you want to put into your bank of words. That's talking, that's talking about a, the coming of God, the coming of Jesus Christ. Christ perusa, his, his coming. So the belief that the perusa would bring about a thousand-year kingdom of fellowship and justice and peace and abundance on the earth. They believed that back then, 2,000 years ago. The coincidence of occasional episodes of this millennial exaltation and then persecution uh, till about AD 200 suggests the existence of a relationship between these apocalyptic expectations and imperial persecution. So you're, okay, we're being persecuted by Rome. Things are getting worse, worse, and worse. And we're seeing that in the book of Revelation. And we see that in Matthew 24. And we've heard about these things. And so we're just saying, Jesus, come. Jesus, come. Jesus, come. Okay? Certainly, Revelation viewed martyrdom and millennial promises as two aspects of the same eschatological re uh, resolution. So eschatology is the teaching of end times. It's another word you want to put in your hat. But apocalyptic zeal. So when we use the word apocalyptic, we're talking about... The sun, the moon, the stars shall be turned to blood. We usually think of judgment when we think of the apocalypse. Yeah, you're, you're thinking of judgment. Uh, apocalypse Write that down. Just These are the comparisons that Leah wants you to put. Perusia is coming. The coming okay? of the Lord. And eschatology is end times, study of end times or the second coming. And the um, apocalyptic. apocalyptic is judgment. Yeah. These are loose, but they'll help you. Yeah, so the apocalyptic zeal waned because the end never came. And the pressure of persecution was intermediate. It would come and it would go, it would come and it would go. Moreover, in the aftermath of these apocalyptic outbreaks, more responsible and well-connected members of the church pursued a policy of accommodation, insisting that Christians were not hostile to Rome and downplaying both the apocalyptic and millennial dimensions of their tradition. Christian missionaries converted large numbers of Roman citizens, and worldly success and the failure of the apocalyptic expectation reduced Christians' uh, antagonism towards the empire. So Christians were so angry at Rome, angry at Rome, angry at Rome, but it wasn't so bad anymore. People were in Rome were coming to know Christians, and they were the, coming to know the, Christ. The horrible push against uh, the Christians. It totally was obliterated in the year AD 300 yeah. when Constantinople, Constantinople, I'm trying to get ahead of myself in my brain, made the whole world Christian in 300 years. That's a big deal. That is a very fast turnaround. Mm-hmm. That is a very fast turnaround. Well, it's less than 300 years because Jesus sure. died in AD 30, 33. I know. 270. Now, when I say when I say 30, 33, you'll notice the reason for that is because in one of these episodes, we're going to get to the actual birth of Christ, which was probably about three years prior to um, AD. So it was probably BC, you know. Four. Thank you. Although um, this millennial thought lost favor with the clerical elite, it remained popular and appealed to um, other kind of fringe heretics. In, um, in this idea, they were fascinated with di uh, the, the um, monastists, were fascinated with the idea of dividing past and future into the units of prophetic calculation. So for you guys, people have been wanting to calculate the millennium for two millennium. <laughs> okay. And AD 156, according to fourth century Christian uh, uh, writer Ep uh, Epiphanius, Mont 
Montanus declared himself the prophet of a third testament, a new age of the Holy Spirit, uh, and Figura, now in Turkey, became the center of this movement, whose leaders claimed divine inspiration for their visions and utterances that believed in the imminent descent of the heavenly Jerusalem in their small town. Imminent meaning happening right now. So this concept of a third age, the day, a new day of the spirit of God is one of the most consistently repeated features of the talk of the millennium throughout the past 2000 years. And according to, um, in Joachim of Fiore's philosophy of history during the 12th century, the views of the society of friends, the Quakers in the 17th century, and in the apocalyptic speculations of the seventh day Adventists. In every case, it carries an implicit rejection of the contemporary church as an archaic and hierarchical organization that is about to be surpassed. So about 200 AD, the apocalyptic expectations seem to have reached unusual levels. Uh, the Mont uh, Montanism. Montanism spread outside of Asia Minor and found convert converts throughout the whole Roman Empire, including Tertullian. So Tertullian, he was a, actually he was a North African lawyer and a theologian, um, and he's actually kind of one of the church fathers. And he got caught up in this too. Apocalyptic prophets, some including bishops, roused their flocks with visions of the imminent end and led them into the desert to meet Christ returning on the clouds. Let's go find him. Year AD 200 didn't come back, just in case you wondered. Uh, in response to these disastrous errors, the non-apocalyptic versions of millennialism, the sab sabbatical millennium emerged. So You've got this argument, which was recorded about AD 110 in the Episcopal of Barnabas, held that because God had created the world in six days, okay, there's going to be 6,000 years and then 1,000 years of rest, okay? And the world must labor for that 6,000 years before we have peace. It offered an alternative to the radical millennial view of the apocalyptic prophets and would become more plausible with the passing of each failed uh, apocalyptic episode so they didn't have to worry about it for a while but that 6,000 years wasn't 6,000 years from the birth of Christ they viewed that the whole world would be going on and carrying on for 6,000 years so they had um, a beginning of time and, and a dating of time so uh, and to give you an idea of what that time looks like I believe um Fifth, five, the year 5,700 would be AD 200. So the year 6,000 would be the year 85, would be the year 8,500. So they were very much like, this is it. This crazed. is it. Oh my gosh. Here it comes. Oh my gosh. As it got it's to now. that year. Going to oh my gosh. Here it comes. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Right. Kind of like the okay. uh, Y2K craze. So uh, yeah, exactly. So uh, Hippolytus uh, responding to the irresponsible uh, apocalyptic nature of his day connected this connected this sabbatical millennialism uh, to a chronology that explicitly dated the arrival of the Messiah and the messianic thousand year reign by dating Jesus's incarnation, God's assumption of the flesh and the person of Jesus to uh, 5,500 Anno Domini AM uh, Latin in the year of the world, i.e. from creation. He could argue that in 5,700 Anno Domini in the year of the world, AD 200, that there were still 300 years left before the Perusa. This tradition was time. That valuable space. for the same reasons it was dangerous. 
it reaffirmed this millennial dogma, it's going to happen, and offered a concrete date. So for at least two centuries, its teachings offered a solution to the problem of everybody going around. <gasps> it's Jesus. Oh my gosh, wars and rumors of wars. Oh my gosh, there's an earthquake. Ah! Okay, they had it then as they've been doing this for a long time. Okay. The influence of Greek thought upon Christian theology offered church leaders an alternative to the uh, to this millennial worldview, the theology of origin. This is this is this is a, I like this one. He's a church father, a great third century Alexandrian Christian thinker, emphasized the manifestation of the kingdom and the soul of the believer rather than in the world, a significant shift. Just only 300 years later, I'm finding it. And you know why? Because at that time, he could see, dude, look what we done did. Twelve disciples and now the whole world's Christian. This thing is working. Work it out. We're going to work it out. All right. So it's got to be the manifestation of the kingdom and the soul of the believer. Because we're seeing this play out. Like the world is changing at a rapid pace in 300 years, dude. And they were close enough to Woo! the time of kind of barbarity. Yes. They were watching it be wiped out. So there was that transition period, you know, where every, literally every. Nailed to a cross. Every culture had like Coliseums. some sort of sacrifices going on. Yeah. Pretty much. So they were there during the time where that was stopping. Christianity comes in and says, no so more shocking. idols, no more sacrifices. No, we're not going to sacrifice people or animals. We're done mm -hmm. with that. And we're going to be civilized. Yes, we are. We're going to Christianity civilizes. Okay? Shut up. They're talking about Jesus. I know. Rather than in the world, a significant shift from the historical uh, toward the metaphysical or the spiritual. Uh, the association of this apocalyptic a thousand year reign idea with the mon uh, Montastus heresy and other troubling anti-authoritarian beliefs and practices discredited it, especially among the clerical supporters of this um, this monarchical episcopacy, meaning Pe the monarchy in control of the third century, who laid the groundwork for the revolutionary notion in Christianity of a sacred. Empire. Empire. Now, this is where we get off track again, you Christians. Okay? To where now, and this is where we're getting the Pope, and this is where we're getting it. Oh, the Lord God has spread across the world. And now he's going to set up one dude to tell us what to do all the time. And we're going to have this hierarchy of people that's not in the New Testament. Now, okay? if you're just joining us, I want to remind you, we are going over the apocalypse in space and time, meaning what has been the view of the millennial reign and kind of Jesus's second throughout coming history. throughout history. And so, I want to know what you believe. Yes. Okay. I want to know what you believe, but you don't know what other people believe. I guarantee it. Let's go through it. Okay. So this strain of anti-millennial political theology climax with the conversion of Constantine the Great and the adoption of Christianity as the favored and eventually sole religion of the empire. The theologians of the imperial period either ignored this thousand-year reign. We don't need Jesus to come back. We know him pretty good. Okay? We ruling here right now. All right? So you got Eusebius, Jerome, Ambrose, Augustine violently attack them as carnal, Judaizing, and crude forms of belief. Whoa. So they saw Augustine, Eusebius, Jerome, Ambrose saw this three, this thousand-year reign on earth as carnal. You're Judaizing. What are you doing? You're taking something that is is intended to be uh, spiritual. Yeah. And you're turning it into like a fleshly thing. Like saying that when Jesus says, this is my body, take and eat. This is my blood. The Catholics literally believe that when they when the priest prays over it, it literally mm -hmm. becomes the body and blood 
of Jesus Christ. Yeah, so, so now you're a cannibal. So traditional historiography holds that as a result of these developments, this millennial reign idea was discredited for centuries. But it's held on, okay? This this millennial reign, this pre-millennial, it's been there for a while, you guys. I'm not saying that it, I'm not saying that the pre-millennial ideology is new because it's not. It's literally from the first thousand years. I'm saying that there's been some butting of the heads and, and, and you need to know that who what we are saying though, to clarify for those that misunderstand, this is why we always clarify when we say this, the combination of a seven year rapture, or excuse me, a, a rapture with a seven year tribulation combined with dispensationalism, dividing up the different time frames, we'll get to that a bit all more. of yeah. that. Okay. We're saying that that never existed in the history of the church. That is what is brand new. Right. So okay. I want to clarify for you guys. All right. So this millennial year reign um, actually survived at two levels. First, it survived among the clergy in the form of a top-down millennial uh, reign ideology whereby the Christian empire became the fulfillment of the messianic promise. This theocratic identification of the pa Ro romana, which is Christ Christiana, uh, Christ Christina, Christ the peace of the Christian Roman Empire. Yeah. And with Isaiah's vision of the peace of the nations would become one of the most important elements of political Christianity until the end of the wars of religion in the late 16th, 16th century. In the 4th and 5th centuries, imperial Christianity absorbed the messianic symbols of pagan Rome. So Rome's dominion kept the Antichrist at bay. Okay. Romo, uh, Roma and Turna, the Latin for external eternal Rome became a symbol of the longevity of the new millennial kingdom, just as God rules over all in heaven. So the emperor rules on earth. Okay. The divine right of Kings comes from this. So this millennialism also survived among the populace that still viewed the empire Christian or not as the enemy that still honored and sought martyrdom. And that emphasized still more intensely the tradition of revelation. This popular millennialism best seen in the North African, uh, uh, Donatists periodically emerged at times of apocalyptic expectations, such as the sacking of Rome in 410. It probably also inspired many missionaries to spread. Despite having been banished at the highest levels of the clerical elite who dominate our textual record, this millennialism survived in this popular oral form, especially in the Western Latin church until present. The year 6000 in the year Anno Domini, which is in the year of the world, is significant with each ap apocalyptic failure. By 5,900 5, in the year of the world, however, the millennial chronology would shift from an anti-apocalyptic to apocalyptic. If at this point the chronology bore no connotations of danger for Christians, then they would have greeted the year 6,000 with large pub public commemorations and celebrations, as the Romans did in AD 248 when they reached their thousandth year. The date carried so much dangerous, apocalyptic, and millennial fright, however, that the theologians of the Latin West found this millennial chronology unacceptable. So, from, all, from AD 400 on, you have to understand something. There's a lot going on in 400 years. It's a long time. And then from 400 to the 16th or to the 17th century, the 1600s, boom, was like St. Augustine's view, and I'm going to get to it. That's a long time mm -hmm. to believe something as, and to have it be church. And it was taught to the people because the people didn't have the Bible in their own language. So they actually had to absorb everything from the Bible 
from their priests. Yeah. Okay. So what we're actually kind of talking about is what the church believed at that time. And so Augustine, he wasn't, he wasn't really into being a priest. He loved God, right? Like He just wanted to go out in the woods and live with God Live by himself with the Lord. So his idea, what I'm saying is St. Augustine wasn't one of these guys who wanted to just control people no. and spread doctrine. He was kind of like, y'all just go away. So his doctrine that he came up with was as a result of his relationship with Jesus. Yes. And he did have a very, and, and when you read St. Augustine, you will find that he, not only was he a deep thinker, but it, the things that he wrote could only have come from the divine inspiration of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not saying that it was gospel. Right, I'm just or saying, perfect theology. or perfect theology, but literally, there's stuff that's in there that's so deep. You're going, you didn't, you did not come up with that on your on your own, right? So he wasn't one of those guys just trying to manipulate people. Is my point. I believe he had things, a lot of things, wrong because at the time he didn't have a lot of people to talk to that were reading the Bible. So you kind of were on your own. So Augustine attacked not only the popular anarchist variety of millennialism that his fellow church fathers uh, reviled but also this hierarchy authoritarian kind that Eusebius and others so ardently embraced. He did so by presenting history as operating in two different realms, the heavenly and the terrestrial. And he's like, stop. But let me tell you, this is where his wheelhouse is though. Like when, when you read confessions and you get to the end of confessions, like the last eighth of the, of his, of the, that work, it's the city like, of God. It's like he shines. He's, well, the so, city of God is a separate work, but he shines on this topic. Right. Well, and, and doesn't he shine in the city of God in the new yes. Jerusalem? We live yes. out of heaven. Yes. yes. And he found himself like to the point he went too far. He did. He found himself, unfortunately, not combining the heaven and earth. Right. He just wanted to live out of heaven too, so much that he didn't want to ever eat. Right. Okay. And that's not where we want you guys to go. Right. Uh, but he made this distinction. And so he said that um, the heavenly city was the expression of this spiritual perfection and the union with God. And he lived there. He lived there out of his spirit. And, but it wasn't visible to those still in this terrestrial world where good and evil continued to coexist in a single body. So this millennial perfection could not be achieved in this world, he said. Only at God's promised climax to history at the very end of all time. Would good and evil be separated until that unknowable time, which he said, uh, humanity lived in the, an age, op an, an opaque world of time and space in which humans could not know anything about the end and not when it would happen, not how it would happen, nor who would be saved. He's like, we don't know. We're not going to touch it. We are just going to live out of heaven knowing that this world is sinful. Okay. So the theology of history adopted from the dynastic theologian uh, Tychonus offered Augustine a means to attack uh, both of eschatology's most troubling aspects. He could refute the notion that the signs of the end can be read because everybody's like, well, oh, earthquake, did you feel it? Jesus, 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 okay? Uh, so you couldn't read it. He's like, boom, we're not going to read it. We're not reading this time, okay? Uh, in the people and the events of history, I, I e.g., all oh, the Goths and the Visegoths, the Gog and Magog, we're going to find out that this guy over here is Gog and this guy over here is Magog. He could also remove Christianity from its uh, theocratic identity with the Roman Empire. No earthly institution could be pure enough in this terrestrial city. And I'm telling you, I'm explaining to you what Augustine's belief was. I'm not saying that it's right. I think that part of it's wrong. But you got just know, you need, it's important to know. 
Okay, so this was a particular important argument to make after the sack of Rome in 410, when at least uh, in its western region, many believed the empire had collapsed. At the same time, he could decouple millennialism from future expectations because the millennium was not a future time of perfect peace on earth, but rather had already begun. So we're not looking for another thousand year reign. We're not looking for the tribulation. It's over. It's done. Boom. Okay. With the establishment of the church. A perfect, a time of perfect peace in the heavenly city. Can I remind you guys that all of this is coming from a historical standpoint from the his, from the um, Encyclopedia Britannica? Yeah. This is from their research of what people believed at the time. Right. This is just, we're literally just saying this is what they believed. Right. So this stupendous uh, eschatological uh, achievement uh, would dominate. Exegetical. Well, I was just going. Okay. Eschatology. I was going with eschatology. Okay. All right. Uh, But you can can do exegesis on this too. Um, Achievement would dominate um, the ecclesiastical studies on Revelation for the next eight centuries and most former theological discourse through the Reformation. So let's let's sum that up. And and, And before we do sum that up, I also want to remind you guys of something very, this is very, very important. Mostly what we're talking about in this apocalyptic view of people being afraid, like, oh, gosh, look at this, look at this. Jesus, come save me, come right now, please. But they all, the early church, all knew and all understood and used it as an apologetic that Matthew 24 had was applied no. to AD no. 70. But wait a minute, because they knew that that was an apologetic that Jesus, not the actual, like, coming on the clouds, but the sack, not the sack, but the, the fall of the temple. They understood that when Jesus was talking about that, Some, but, but, but most of these people are getting this and we're seeing it even as you're reading this, most of them are getting this apocalyptic view from Revelation. Um, yes and no. Yes, no. I, they do. Many of these people got it from Matthew 24 as well. All the way up until four, 400 and like when, like all the way up until 400. No, this is, this is, this is the, it's messy. It's never everyone. Right. Well, right, yeah, right, right, right. There were several people and church fathers that saw Matthew 24 as fulfilled in 8070. Right. But certainly not all. Certainly it wasn't, even in this, was it was not, anytime the millennial fervor would come out, mm-hmm. it was Matthew 24 in Revelation. It was Fleet of the Hills. Okay. What, when we're going to talk about, um, kind of a modern post um post-millennial view but even at that time it was one of the greatest apologetics and proof it could have it was for some but it wasn't it was it and it should have been but it wasn't no because many because we have to understand not everybody had a bible Mm-hmm. To be able to go to through. To compare Matthew 24 with AD 70. Any other, well, Matthew 24, the Olivet Discourse, is Mark 13, Luke 21, and Matthew 24. But you know what? Up until 1100, I think, AD, there were no chapter and verses in this thing. Mm-hmm. So understanding the fact that people even could grasp the, the, the basic principles that Jesus died for my sins is huge. That's good. To understand deep theological things and verses was, was you know, some people would just have a scrap of a couple scriptures written down. That's really true, yeah. So nobody, nobody 
beyond the highest, highest clergy mm. was going through this book and comparing things like That's that. That's good. Okay. They wanted to know, you say Jesus could come back? Okay, let's do it. What? Tell me about this. Tell me about this in Matthew. I'm hearing something about a, a war. I'm hearing something about a room. I'm well, you hearing make such something. A you make such a good point, and I and I and I want to concede to this because even I know from from reading again back to Augustine. This is the time period that we're at. We're in like 300, 400 yeah. AD. They talk about getting a a full copy of the Book of Mark. And just what a big deal that was. And they would sit there and they would read it and they would like, like St. Augustine and his, and the people that were hanging out with him and living yeah. with him at the time, his mom was with him a lot mm -hmm. and uh, a few other guys and they, they, they traveled and they stayed together mm -hmm. and they would talk about finding someone and, and, and approaching them and, and finding out, oh my gosh, you have a section of the book of Luke, or you have yeah. a section of this letter or something like that mm -hmm. to get your hands on these words Mm -hmm. at this time was such a huge deal. Mm -hmm. It's not even funny. So yeah. we, when we're reading these passages, take for granted yeah. that we have the word of God in our hands and we're able to take it and break it down and go to the inner, inner linear Bible. But the early church just had word of mouth and word of mouth. Yeah, so you're hearing in the book of Revelation these apocalyptic visions, and all you're taking away is bad things happen and Jesus comes back. I'm ready for that. Yeah. Okay? Now, that's why we're talking about um, the the views of uh, throughout, throughout history, right? Um, how did other people view um, this, this millennial reign? Okay? And I think I may have... Did you close it? Accidentally lost my my thing here. I have I have a docs up if you need it. One of okay. yours. I think that's the views of Augustine. That's not what we not where we're at. Or are we there? Um, we're scrolling down. Okay, so um, so we're we're getting through uh, Saint Augustine, and at that time there were people who saw the, the fulfillment of AD seventy in Matthew. 24, which wasn't called Matthew 24 at the time. It's just called the book of Matthew. It wasn't, it wasn't, nobody had chapter verse. It was just reading through. And that's, and I encourage you guys to read through the Bible. You can get Bibles that don't have chapters and verses. So you can read it the way that was really originally written. Yeah. So, uh, Augustine developed an eschatology that seemed almost oblivious of time. Indeed, his notion, his notion of, um, seculum, what come, we get the English word secular, radically desanctified history. Um, and that was the thought for almost 1,500 years. Augustine anticipated no imminent supernatural intervention in his history period. Okay. Um, his realized millennium at once acknowledged and embraced history, but it also argued that the battle that really mattered had already been fought on a spiritual plane where God had triumphed. Satan had been reduced to lordship in his world. The city of the world and the city of God had been forced to coexist. Eventually, even that small patrimony that Satan claimed would be taken from him and God would triumph. That is a kind of a victorious eschatology. And he foresaw, I believe, the future. I, I truly do. The grander depth and subtlety of Augustine's vision has long inspired readers. His refusal to panic 
at Alec, Alec, Alaric's sack of the eternal city, Rome, in 410, he didn't panic. He didn't say, ooh, Jesus come back, Jesus come back, like others, and shout the news of his apocalyptic fall and his understanding of a sacred and secular universe that could endure even the collapse of an empire earned him extraordinary high reputation among theologians and, and scholars. But we can't actually know what his contemporaries thought. But we can know what people thought after him because he was right. Mm -hmm. Michelle and I were talking about this on the walk today. I guarantee you, okay, that people will say, Leah and Michelle were right. <laughs> after I'm gone at 120 years. I guarantee and stink you. I guarantee stink and tee you. Why? Because it's the same thing. How often do you need to say? It's like the communists, but worse. Because communism it just is relatively hasn't been new. done right yet. Is what the left always says about communism and socialism. But it just hasn't been done it's right like, yet. It's like it's like a whirlpool eddy that every that Christians just keep getting stuck in. They think it's me this time. It's me this time. It's me this time. It ain't you right now. Okay, but in that's and what you'll get at the Kingdom Roundtable on Mondays is that it actually is you, and it's always you, and it's always us. Then for yes. eternity, it's us. It is and you. We win now. You reign as king and priest. You got a job to do. Now do it. Yeah. Okay. If all these people they, they sold their 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 goods and just waited for Jesus, what if they had been missionaries? What if they had? Well, this makes me be a missionary. I have to go and tell people Jesus come back. They need to get saved. Could Jesus come back? No. You are going to go tell people. To be born again, to become a brand new human being, so they can enter into the kingdom of God and receive the blessings of the kingdom of God, forgiveness of their sins, and an eternal reign that starts today. That is the message of salvation. Not a fear, but a faith. Well, and let's also remind everybody that's watching, when Jesus came to preach, when Jesus came to bring a message... He didn't bring the message of salvation as we understand it. He came and he, he kept saying, the kingdom is here. The kingdom, the kingdom is here. Of God is Let me tell you what the kingdom is like. How do you the, kingdom get to the kingdom is this. The kingdom is this. He didn't bring a... The rich young ruler didn't say, what can I do to be saved? He said, what, what can, can I, I do, do to, to enter, enter the kingdom? Salvation and forgiveness of your sins is a ticket into the kingdom. So but everybody wants the kingdom. What's the kingdom? Exactly. So the salvation message, the gospel of Jesus Christ is that the kingdom of God is here right now. And you can get there by getting saved, so, by being born again. The wedding feast. Yes, ma'am. Jesus said, you guys are keep trying to get into my wedding. Mm. Go into the, the rich, the people who were invited to the wedding didn't go. That's right. So he said, hey, go get them, pull them from the highways and the byways and, and help compel them to come in. Gentiles. But when they get there, they in their old clothes and Jesus is like, I listen, I called you in, but you stink. Go take a bath, be washed by the regeneration of my word, put on some new clothes, put on the robes of righteousness, and then you can come into the wedding feast. And here you are in the kingdom, right. but you got to change your clothes. You have to be washed, take a bath. You stink of sin. And then you enter into the kingdom and now you're here. But Christianity that's that's preached today, salvation that's preached today is all about the washing and the cleans, cleansing of the clothes. And that's where the story ends. And you never get the, into the kingdom. The good news is the bath. Um, I don't take a bath to just enjoy the bath. Right. Okay. I take a bath because I'm going somewhere. Right. And where I'm going is the is the awesomeness. Right. Right. All right. So um, 
St. Augustine's histio, history, his, historical view of this millennialism uh, continues to inspire people with its rigorous um, agnosticism, basically, about where in hi history meets its end. He's like, don't matter to me. And you know what? It don't matter to me. Why are you obsessed when, when the King of Kings comes back for the end of the world? Why? Because you're sad, because you're depressed, because you see the world bad. Exactly. But you know what? I'm telling my dad, go long or th toss me a long ball. I want to play this game. I want to be in it forever. Okay? And I want my kids to be in it. I want my grandkids to be in it. I want my great 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 grandkids to be in it because I don't think there's enough people on this planet and I don't think that heaven and I don't think Michelle that Abraham you know what? I'm going to this is a little bit of a rabbit trail. Premillennialism. You know what they count themselves as? Literalists. We take that thousand year reign and that book of revelation so literally that we've got to be right okay 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 <laughs> now come i meet you with this literally literally. literally do you think abraham has descendants as many as the stars in heaven and the sands in the sea no you ain't a literalist. Well, let, ah, me, let me tell you ah, guys something about that, though. Liar. Liar, 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 liar goes to hell. So when we talk about the end Boom. of the world, Leah, we know how we we mentioned that cattle oh, on a thousand word. hills. Oh, my word. And we decided. And the gospel, God be preached, the end of the world. We, we decided that uh, the, the cattle on a thousand hills. I'm not hills, supposed to be making fun of people. I'm sorry. Go ahead. The cattle on a thousand hills, we decided, actually is a finite number. So God doesn't own cattle on on just on hill one thousand hills one oh one right eh, literalist okay so if you want to be a literalist mm. Leah is there a limited number could could God if he wanted to count all the sand in the sea oh yeah absolutely but if it's compared to the sand of the sea how is sand created every day there's new sand the stars. There's new ones every day. So if the descendants of Abraham are, have to catch up quick. are as the sand of the sea and as the stars of heaven Ugh. that will reproduce into infinity. Infinity. What are you going to do with that? I don't know. You just throw that I one out there. You can just chew on it. Just get some sorghum. Chew, baby. Chewing. You're in a literalist. I just heard you guys. Somebody put in the chat a Max Lucado video. Uh, Max Lucado went from an amillennialist to a premillennialist because he went to a literalist. And I'm like, okay, we're gonna be here for a while then, son, because ain't no dis they're not Christians. The number of the sand of the sea. There's maybe Christians. The number of the sand grains that I can put in a five gallon bucket. <laughs> There's more than that. Two five gallon buckets. Somebody Google it. How many grains of sand fit in a five-gallon bucket? You know, the early church used to do that kind of stuff. How many angels can fit on the pin, uh, the head of a pin? Okay, we're moving on. So, as both Jewish and Christian um, anti-apocalyptic lore holds, if the word comes that the Messiah has arrived, go on planting trees. 
They're not going to tell me how many. Oh, here we go. All right, five-gallon bucket will contain 56,699,091 grains of sand. Okay. So 56 million grains of sand in a five-gallon bucket. So there's several five-gallon buckets, but I'm telling you there's more than... <laughs> well, there's more than a dump truck worth of sand in the world. And a dump truck has more sand than there are Christians. How about that? Okay. But these are theological issues, and the historians have yet to explore the historical question. How convincing was Augustine to his contemporaries? His debate with the openly apocalyptic uh, Dalmatian bishop, um, Hysikisius, in 418 and 419, indicates that ecclesiastical leaders, almost a decade after Rome's sack, remained intensely apocalyptic in their reading, reading of the contemporary hist history. So they were still thinking millennial reign. Millennial reign, okay, I get you. It's hist it's historical view, I get you. But ain't no rapture. And no seven-year tribulation. Not there. All right. Um, thus, St. Augustine may not provide the best measure for gauging the attitude that characterized the late Roman Empire, an age in which some bishops believed that their vocation was to nourish their flocks with uh, apocalyptic fe fever and viewed the collapse of Rome as this event, Jesus, Jesus is coming back. Despite his um, kind of view here, Augustine threw his support behind a new chronology that put the year 600 in the year of the world ahead for another 6, 300 years. The year 6,000. Because uh, remember, we're waiting for this year 6,000. You guys follow me, remember? Because a lot of people are like, okay, well, let's do, the earth is going to toil for 6,000 years and then the thousand year reign. Uh, by his daily approach of the year 6000, according to Hippolytus' uh, reckoning, supported the apocalyptic arguments that the earlier chronology had been introduced to refute. Indeed, Augustine points to people who, almost a century too soon, associated the fall of Rome uh, with the advent of this year 6000. Maybe we were off by a thousand, by a hundred years. Could have been. The new calculations, Anno Domini II, first proposed by Eusebius in AD 303, rejuvenated the world by some 300, three centuries. The incarnation occurred not in 5,500, but in 5,199. And thus the year 6,000 would come in AD 801 rather than 500. You but, know, um, there's a lot of calculations going on here. So the new chronology of the sabbatical millennium, the thousand-year reign, in the, uh, the second version... Permitted Christians to refer to the calendar without being constantly reminded. Like, can we just put it ahead a little bit? It's like putting off a dentist appointment. <laughs> okay, can we just, like, just worry about it, like, later? Okay, this is not how, this is not how theology works, by the way. Yeah. It's either in the Word of God or it's not. So, the well, new my chronology... favorite thing is, is that with, in reference to this, now we believe that no man will know the day of the hour refers to eighty seventy. but if you're going to pull it and extract it, to this right now then why y'all always trying to do the math man yeah this new chronology also offered some repudiation of the apocalyptic fervor that the first set set of beliefs for AD 500 uh, had two centuries earlier thus Augustine could use it to refute uh, the apocalyptic significance of uh, Rome's fall like his um, reading of Revelation Augustine's acceptance of the new non-apocalyptic chronology of, of saying that the year 6,000 would be in the year 8100. Okay, we can deal with this. So this shift in chronologies, however, did not happen in the Greek church. 
whose theological leaders prepared to confront the potential disruptions of the approaching year of 6000. The theocratic elements of Christianity developed more solidly with the Empire of Constantinople, which was able to sustain a viable political structure even as the Western Empire was collapsing. Thus, the imperial thousand-year reign, fortified with the imperial prophetic literature, dominated political thought more effectively there than in the West. So there were particularly strong assertions of imperial millennialism about 500 AD with the emergence of the legend of a last emperor, a supernatural messiah figure who it was believed would rule the world in peace and unity, Trump, uh, from once and the future messiah to once and future king. The year 8500 therefore marks a crucial turning point in the history of millennialism. It was the moment of the victory of the imperial millennialism in the East, the Byzantine Empire, over the popular anti-imperial beliefs of the sabbatical millennialism. And it was the moment of the victory of the popular millennialism in the West over the e efforts to link Christianity's messiahism to the new German kingship that replaced the imperial authority. At approximately the same time, a fundamental shift um, of the sacred occurred in the East and the West. In the East, holiness could inhabit the living. Um, so you could um, occupy the, this space between the corrupt world and the pure world, like pure one, like the royal prophets of biblical times. These men would not challenge the hierarchy. They merely chastised its abuse of power. In the West, however, the only good saint was a dead saint. Um, and this idea of clean power re resided in the relics. You guys remember the relics, mm -hmm. you know, maybe a piece of the cross here, a piece of so-and-so's robe here. And then that was pure, right? Like indulgence. The physical remains of saints often venerated by Christians. The survival of the anti-imperial millennialism in the West often manifested in radical opposition to the church. A threat, uh, as great as acknowledgement of the year, uh, 600. Similarly, 6,000, 6, sorry. Similarly, the relic cults. Uh, whose theology Augustine uh, virtually launched in the last book of the City of God may have been pop uh, been a popular form of his two-tiered millennialism. All right, so moving on a little bit to the medieval and the Reformation, medieval time. So we have Augustine's allegorical millennialism, uh, which became the official doctrine of the church. And the apocalypse and the millennial reign and all that stuff happening here on earth went underground, Okay. After Augustine, there was a radical split in the millennial uh, discourse. On one hand, the texts all formally endorsed Augustine's position. Martin Luther, Martin Luther hated the book of Revelation, felt like it wasn't even canon. Um, on the other hand, the continued use of this second version, eventually uh, the practice of counting down to the year 6000 indicates the same debates between these two were still going on. Um so while these dates are still going on, they were led to some false Christ coming up saying that they were the messiahs. And obviously the year came and passed that it didn't happen. Okay. It did not happen. All right. So, but had nothing happened, I see, does this mean the ecclesiastical leaders lost track of the increasingly apocalyptic chronology and the half century before 6,000 and that it passed unobserved? Or does it indicate a radical disjuncture between what was said and what was written as the year 6,000 approached? Had nothing happened, one might argue the former position. Instead, on the first day of the year AD corresponding to 6,000, which was 801 or 800, according to the modern calendar, which starts the new year on January 1st, Pope Leo III crowned Charlemagne Emperor of Rome. Okay, we got it. 
We got our thousand year reign. Here comes Charlemagne. <laughs> oh, we're bringing in the reign of Christ. Here we go now. Here we go now. Okay, so the tendency towards the imperial messiahism that marked the Byzantine experience of 6,000 seems to have inspired the most dramatic political act of the early Middle Ages. With the passing of this year, 6,000, the failure of the empire to provide stability, much less this messianic peace, left the apocalyptic question unresolved. Oh, darn it. Now we got to start thought. over. Now we, we got to start over. Yes, and now the waves of apocalyptic fears arose with the devastation wrought by um, the Hungarian, the Norse, the Muslims. All these people were warring wars and rumors of wars. Yeah. The only valid answer to the apocalyptic question was to be found in a crude reading of Augustine's work that was combined with a retooled sabbatical millennialism. It's going to come. We're going to get that thousand years. According to this interpretation, this is a new revamped version. The millennium was already in full swing and coincided with the establishment of the church. Moreover, it argued that either the year 1000 or the year 1033 would mark the millennium's end. And that makes sense, right? Yeah. We, go to, we go to AD, you know, from BC Here to AD. You reign for a thousand years. And you reign for, it's like, it's either. It's almost, at this point, it's like, oh my gosh. Oh my God. How did we miss How that one? How did we one? miss that one? It's so simple. It's not from, it's not that 6,000 years in the thousand year reign. It's got to be. thousand year reign. It's got to be this. Okay. So the, of course, a thousand years. Makes sense. And it could be from when Jesus was born or could be from when Jesus died. Which is why we're looking at a thousand or a thousand thirty-three. Oh, give or take. Give or take. Okay. This view had two distinct advantages. It was not strictly millennial in that the coming apocalyptic moment was the end. Woo! You mean we're through it? And Jesus, and we're reigning, and we're doing, and we're the end of the world. It's coming because we're reigning now, and the thousand-year reign, and then, oh, okay, okay. So, uh, and uh, rather the end than the beginning of this terrestrial millennium on earth, and it permitted the ecclesiastical leaders of the 8th and 9th centuries to redate the end to a distant future Christ. in the 11th century. Stop, stop being crazy. Okay, so I'll, be, I'll be dead and gone, but I'm going to preach it now. Let's just put it out there. So there were some more uh, pseudo-prophets that came uh, in Germany in 847 announcing that the world would end the next year. Attracted a lot of people coming, um, clerics and, and commoners. One of the few arguments available to opposing clerics was uh, that uh, used by Gregory of Tours. There were still 150 years, guys. No, nope, you can't. It can't be. We still got 150 years. This this uh, Augustinianism, this, chrono this chronological. chronological Augustinianism, whose use uh, Augustine would have abhorred, by the way, was also employed by a Parisian cleric who preached that the release of the Antichrist in the year 1000 would be followed shortly after by the Last Judgment. So the years 1000 to 1033 represent the climax of the sabbatical millennium, unlike the two previous climatic dates. Uh, these could not be avoided. No other year in Western history received as much attention from historians uh, as computers. this. Much like the uh, Byzantinum in the 6,000 year. Which five, would have been around 500 AD. Uh, there was a wide range of apocalyptic behavior from the hierarchical to the egalitarian. So from the high, in the kings and priests to the regular people. The split is most obvious in the difference between the Eastern and Western uh, king, kingdoms, Germany and France. So in Germany, where a powerful imperial dynasty dominated the political and cultural scene, the young passionate emperor Otto III deployed apocalyptic symbols and undertook projects from above, such as the Bamberg Apocalypse, 
um, an illuminated manuscript copy of the book of Revelation. He's like, that's it. Boom, it's coming. It. Boom, it's coming. I'm even going to give you a um, illuminated manuscript copy of Revelation. It's the uh, the renewal of the Roman Empire. The Renovatio Imperi Romani. That was really good. That was good. Okay, and the conversion of Eastern European paganism. He also attempted to demonstrate imperial millennialism by visiting Charlemagne's tomb on Pentecost of, the, of 1000 and through his alliance with Pope Sylvester II. In France, the uh, Capetian uh, dynasty replaced another line in 989 after unfortunate circumstances, civil war and treason, and where various regions were in social upheaval. The initiatives came from below. A variety of movements, the peace of God, the relic cults, the pilgrimages. You guys have seen those in movies, mm -hmm. okay? Um, these um, communities, um, all these different, the rise of popular charismatic preachers occurred at the local and regional levels. In particular, the Peace of God movement represented the first major popular expression of millennialism that was not only approved but encouraged by the clerical and lay elite. Despite the differences between France and Germany, historians of the early 11th century use unusually optimistic language to describe a new dawn or a vast renewal for both regions. When the final drama did not come in 1000. Dang it. The evidence suggests that many millennialists redated. Okay. To 1033. All right. So he didn't come. So it must be, it must be when he dies. Yeah. So this gave the entire generation between 1000 and 1033. Another. Whew, 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 apocalyptic tenor. Okay. 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 It's going to be awesome. It's going to be awesome. Okay. So the year 1009. The Messianic Caliph of Cairo destroyed the Holy Sepulchre and forced Christians to convert to uh, the Shiite Islam. When the news came to France, the region most influenced by this apocalyptic expectations erupted in a wave of anti-Jewish violence. By 1022, concern over the spread of heresy was so great that the French clergy... Uh, among the, French, among the French clergy that heretics were executed for the first time in European history. Finally, with the advent of 1033, France experienced a second climatic wave of peace, assemblies, and pilgrimages to Jerusalem. Uh, a historian uh, describes the vast assembled masses at the peace council shouting, peace, 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 and believing they had formed a covenant with God. Of course, those years passed without the arrival of the second coming of Jesus. Rather than disappearing, the apocalyptic expectations in Western Europe underwent profound transformation. Instead of the passive expectation of the earlier period, the Peace of God movement and related movements at the turn of the millennium AD introduced a new and more creative millennialism. Do you so see we how just gotta changes? keep working it out. Come on, y'all. We're just gonna keep working it out till it happens. Partly spurred on by the remarkable innovation of the peace councils and the cooperation of the aristocratic elite, the bishops, the counts, the abbots, the kings. In a popular millennial movement, isn't it funny how this kind of is a, a theme? From, mm -hmm. We've got a thousand years in the same thing. That's a long time. You know, a thousand years is a long time. Very. Okay. With the social uh, covenantism, the peace of God was the first successful post-millennial movement. Why post-millennial? Okay. We're here. We did it. We did it. We arrived. Meaning now we are ready to expand the, the kingdom of God. For the first time, adherents believe that the dramatic improvement of the world could come not uh, about not only as a result of Jesus' appearance, but through the work of good people. Love it. This notion of a new spirit spreading to all people and the appearance of the new millennial age would lie at the heart of most enduring and powerful wave of millennial thinking in the high middle ages. While popular messiahs continue to appear, the period after 1000 was characterized by vaster movements, often approved by ecclesiastical authorities. The first crusade 
um, revived the popular enthusiasm for both the peace and the pilgrimage movements of 1033 in new and more aggressive forms, from peace and Christendom to war against the infidel, from um, these penitent uh, pilgrimages to armed crusade. Peter the Hermit, whose miracles aroused most popular adulation, represented most aptly this new attitude. In an earlier age, he would have been killed or imprisoned. But in the late 11th century, he managed to win approval from the church hierarchy for his millennial enthusiasm. Over time, however, some of these popular movements developed to militantly hostile attitude against church authority um, so in, and against intellectual, intellectuals and the wealthy and the Jews and others, thus engendering the most violent and revolutionary elements of the millennialism. So you've got these millennial hopes that are, that are spreading um, as a result of the work of Jocoam of Fiori, the first officially approved theologian to reject Augustine and return to a notion of a future millennium. Here we go back again. <sighs> back in the car again. I am literally getting whiplash. I thought we were on our way to something we, good. It felt good for a second. Oh, no. Now he's got to come again. All right. So he postulated there were three great ages, three great ages of history, that of the law, that of the gospel, that of the Holy Spirit. Now, Sounds he, good. He gets that in the latter days. Got it. I will pour out my spirit upon all, all flesh. Yeah. Now, unfortunately, he forgot to read Joel chapter 2, and he forgot to read the rest of that. This is that which was prophesied by the prophet Joel. Peter said this was fulfilled. Mm. So in the latter days was in A.D. 33. Okay, but Day we, of Pentecost. They, he, they're still looking for another move of the Holy Spirit. It wasn't good enough. Yeah. We well, they had dark ages man it's uh, you would want they're one missing too. the holy spirit they're like where'd he too. go they're no holy spirit i got nothing they're chopping fingers off for yeah. torture yeah so but he predicted um current events that were going to be the imminent apocalypse in the end of days so you had the hundred years war the black death and other 14th century catastrophes further fueled the desire for a final intervention this is i understand people it's just escapism. wanting michelle can we yeah. just pray that jesus gets us out of here Yes. And you're in the, the, the black plague is happening. Let's go. But they didn't. Can we hit the escape but, button? But they didn't. They didn't There's get no bell. getting out of here. Except by physical death. Alive. <laughs> That's a good line. That's, we should make that. The end times. There's, There's no, no getting, getting out, out of, of here alive. alive. That's good. I like that. Okay. That's All excellent. Right. So you got these horrible <laughs> things happening. Um, I need that t-shirt. It just needs to say like post-millennialist. There's no getting out of here alive. <laughs> if y'all get that joke, you haven't been watching no long rapture. enough. There's no rapture. There's no getting out of here alive. Okay. That's really good. Uh, and th <laughs> 1356, the Franciscan John of, I'm not going to be able to pronounce it, prophesied that plagues, a revolt of the poor, and the appearance of the Antichrist in Rome and Jerusalem would be followed in 1367 by the ascendance of a reforming pope, and the election of a king of France as the Holy Roman Emperor and the onset of a millennial reign of peace and prosperity. So popular, often revolutionary millennialism continued in the 14th century as well. You've got a guy in France in 1357, uh, Jacquere, uh, may have inspired, uh, been inspired by apocalyptic prophecies. The thousands of peasants and the uh, pastoreaux, the shepherds who swept through Fr the French countryside in 1251, emerged again in 1320, believing that they could bring around the about the Perusa by freeing the Holy Land. Do you feel that now, too? Mm. If we could just get the, all the Jews to Israel, we could bring Jesus back. Yes. They believed that, too, in uh, 1320. And so a bunch of shepherds were like, let's free the Holy Land from the Muslims. Jesus coming back. Boom. We're going to make it happen. 
All right. In the late medieval period, after the Black Death had changed, and I am not making fun of people's beliefs, these did not happen. Nope. They believed it and didn't happen. And you think these these premillennialists today who are dating Jesus coming back in their lifetime right now are going to look as ridiculous. But they're right, Leah. But we are right. We're getting socialism and communism, and communism right. You're just like them. I want to pull you out of the mindsets that you can fight with me. Come on, y'all. I'm not making fun of you. I'm showing you. Come on now. We got it right this time. You sound just like the communists. Um, in the late medieval period, after the Black Death had changed the social dynamic by creating... So what happened during the Black Death? A bunch of, a bunch of uh, people died. Actually, the lower classes died because yeah. the elites could go to their farms mm -hmm. and stay away from the plague. And not be in but the But what this did was, hey, there's less of us. Pay me more. Okay. So the elites, they did this, and they made it, they, they, um, with this economic advantage, these authoritarian labor laws came in. Wage And actually wage restrictions. Hey, you would think, finally, my mom, my brother, my sisters, they all died. Could I at least get paid more? Mm -mm. No. Okay. This resulted in a new urban proletariat, often inspired by apocalyptic preachers such as John Ball, who led the English Peasants Revolt in 1381. Other millennial groups appeared on the fringes of Latin Christendom, forming powerful and enduring countercultures, such as the Hussites in the 15th century Bohemia, whose violent Taborite wing of true believers was intent on bringing about the millennial kingdom at any cost. The presence and strength of popular and revolutionary millennialism are difficult to assess, however, because of the, uh, the, because of the contemporary sources that we have. Um, as a result, modern historical analysis tend to emphasize the political or imperial. So chronology offers one neglected source of evidence for understanding the extent of this millennial view in the Middle Ages. There would have been no need in 5,900 in the first in the first view, 8400s, or again in 5,900 in the 700s, to change this chronology if 6,000 were not a date to be reckoned with. This history historiographical convention that the centuries after Augustine had no significant millennial impulses fails to explain why the chronology shifted with such regularity in the final century before the millennial date. In fact, competition between conservative non-apocalyptic calculations and the apocalyptic calculations of the messianic preachers continued through the Middle Ages. At the beginning of the 14th century, Arnold of Villanova identified a date some 70 years in the future as a millennial moment which the Pope must have found far more fav favorable than the more imminent prophecies of Fra uh, Dolicino, a member of the Apocalyptic Brethren, who preached the imminent fall of the religious and political order. Similarly, given how threatening even pro-imperial millennialism could be to the status quo, the prominence of conservative millennialism in medieval thought may testify to this, this nature of going back and forth. All right, so printing press, 1450s. We are getting the Bible in the hands of the people. So I want to pause right there because I want to address two comments slash questions here in the chat. Jessica on Facebook says, are you trying to say he's not coming back? No. Today's show specifically is to show you what people have believed throughout history about the and second coming of Jesus Christ. the fervor of people in every generation saying, yeah, this is our generation. Here. There's an earthquake over here. There's a war over here. As a matter here. of fact, there were a lot more... Um, Jesus must be coming back in my lifetime. There were a lot more false messiahs back then than we see even now. Um, as far as the stance that Leah and I take... Is we, more Augustine. 
a more isn't it? Augustinian. Yes. Is it doesn't it doesn't matter. Stop thinking about it. Everyone this is what I will say. When Jesus came and he explained what the kingdom of God is like, he says it starts out really small. We got 12 guys. Okay? And it builds like and it builds and it builds and it builds and it builds until the gospel of Jesus Christ. What's the word? Covers the earth as the waters cover the sea. I, you guys and myself cannot imagine what it looks like when the gospel covers the earth like the waters cover the sea. We're nowhere close to that. There's not an escapism of we need to escape the wrath of Hit God. The Boom, get me out of here. You're not going to want to leave. So what does it look like? His his quote, it says he comes back for a pure and spotless bride. It says that of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. What does it say? No what? End. No what? End. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. No pause. No, so so as far as like the end, the final coming of Jesus coming back for his pure spotless bride, Heaven yada yada is yada. Invading Earth. I don't even know what that looks like, and anybody that tells you that they do is lying. Mm -hmm. Okay, all I can tell you is where we're not escaping out of this. I am. Mess. I'm in it for the win. It right. I so when we call it an escapism theology, and then this gets to a question or, or a comment that uh, Christy had in the the chat earlier. That the rapture is about escaping the wrath of God. The rapture ideology, you're right, is about escaping the wrath of God. But the teaching in the Bible is not about escaping the wrath of God. Christy, what are your scriptures for the rapture? You don't get to have a rapture without scriptures. And you don't get to have a, an, a, a theology. You have a cult. The rapture scriptures that you're using are two of them and they are both not in context that is called a cult and i be as nice as i can say that the the matthew 24 at the very beginning of this show as in the days of noah okay the bad guys were taken away the good guys stayed on the ark first thessalonians chapter four is not about a coming away there is no context at all of a wrath of God in Matthew 20 in, of being I, in 1 saved Thessalonians 4. from any sort of wrath of God. And then there's no tribulation there. There's no context. Okay? If you have a theological belief without context, it's pretext. It's made up. It's a cult. Okay? You need to have if you're going to have put your put your stake on something. The rapture. No, Christy isn't putting their stake on anything. They're saying they're open to whatever. Okay, but they're these... the rapture people. Right. Okay. The idea of being taken out and rapture before a great tribulation is have nowhere you... in the Bible. I am at year fifteen hundred. It's not there. It doesn't come into anybody's thought or even thinking if the, the, the millennial come, this is what I want to show you guys about all of this because if what the one piece that you believe might be wrong then you might have a couple other pieces wrong because right now you're standing at shaking ground for pre-millennialists period because everybody since the beginning of time has had some sort of fervor and those who did not expanded the kingdom of God and were right Augustine was right. He was proven right. And I will be proven right. You know why? 
Because I know that my God is spreading a kingdom and mm. he is not going to destroy this planet or destroy this earth. He has come to reconcile the earth. Christy, we're going to himself throughout this series and you come every week and I'm so glad that you're here. We're going to disagree. So you don't because have Christy to say says, her name. If you the, don't want to call That's her not out. true. See my comments. Many early church fathers believed it prior to the 5th century. No. Nobody believed that they would be taken away and raptured before a tribulation. A 7-year tribulation. No. No one believed it. There is literally no one that believed that. No, it is was brand new to church. And here's the thing. The Augustine theology was the teaching of the church for a thousand years. And then the guys that come in, the, the, the millennial fervor and the apocalyptic fervor came in later. We keep going back because, because when, when the world doesn't seem to look good for people, they keep going back to waiting for Jesus to, to rescue mom. We're going to move on. Well, and also one okay. last thing. Um, they say, it's not about being right for me, but I dislike sloppy arguments. And consistently, that's kind of been, Christy's like, I just, I have not found through your series, I'm paraphrasing here, that you're presenting to me anything solid. It's not, we're not going to give you any one thing that you're, that's going to go, oh, okay, that's the proof. I've told you guys this from the very beginning. This series that we decided to do is going to be every single Wednesday. The depth of what we have yet to give you is probably going to take an entire year. That means 52 episodes to a minimum to cover everything that we need to cover. And you have to take it in its entirety. So when we say these things that we are talking about, you have to understand that it would be virtually impossible for us to take a two-hour episode and hit all of the points and present this to you in a perfect package that's going to go, oh, that's it. You're going to have to come week after week after okay. week after week. But quite frankly, if, if, if I can't say that a hippo is a hippo is a hippo, a, a woman is a woman is a woman, I'm not, you're, we're not going to agree. Because quite frankly, the rapture was never taught. The rapture as taught now. Even John Darby himself said, this is new. This is brand new. He said it himself. This is brand new. This is new. It's brand new theology. It's called, a, it was secret rapture. Because forever and all times, when Jesus came back in their theology, Jesus came back. That was he it. was just here. He didn't come back twice. He didn't take people away. So if you're using First Thessalonians, I can never say it, four. How do you say, where is there any scripture that it says Jesus comes back twice? Mm -hmm. So he comes His back. His perusa is either once or there's twice. And you got to show me two. What we're saying is. Two, 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 so two, he, two. He comes back and he takes us with him if in the clouds. And then he comes back seven years later. Where is that second? Where's that third coming? And where do you find that in scripture? Right. It is nowhere in the book of Revelation. You do not see a taking away of people, a seven year tribulation. And then, a, and then and a a third another, coming. another a third, third coming. coming. It's just not there. It's just not So when there. we refer to it as the secret rapture, we refer to it that because we're going to get to this eventually. They referred to it as the secret rapture. But the, the people reason, at the time. The reason why we call it the secret rapture is because, because nobody sees it, nobody hears it. And, the, and because Jesus it requires come. a third coming of Jesus. It requires him to come and we meet up with him in the clouds 
seven-year tribulation, third coming. And the context of what he's talking about is the is is what's going to happen to the dead. Right. Okay? And comforting those people and meeting the king right. in the air. All right. So we're moving on. So we got the printing press. Very cool. 1450s. Um, and then we've got more millennialism. We're excited. Um, this interpretation, however, rests largely on scholarly reliance on written sources. So how this goes. So we've got the Protestant Reformation. Martin Luther was not a millennialist. He was Augustine after all. But he was apocalyptic. His confrontational behavior and his radical theology unlocked the floodgates of a more populous millennial fervor. You've got the Peasants' Revolt in 1525, the Anabaptists, especially the Munster in 1533 to 35, that illustrates all the dangers and excesses of the apocalyptic millennialism. Even John Calvin's very Augustinian teachings were transformed by later Puritans into a millennial doctrine. In the early period, and I'm going to get to the, I'm going to get to the Puritans in a second and their millennial doctrine, because everybody has a millennial doctrine, by the way. In the early modern period, a political implications of millennial fervor reached new heights, especially during the English Civil Wars. And we cover this all the time in our um, Christian Heritage Series. When essentially this millennial revolution executed a king, Charles I, and attempted to put an end to monarchy for the first time in recorded history. The English independents who left the Church of England hoped to usher in the kingdom of God uh, with groups such as the diggers, the levelers, levelers, and the ranters. And the fifth monarchy men believed that revolution was necessary to prepare the way for the reign of Christ and his saints. The revolutionary Puritan leader, Oliver Cromwell, prevented apocalyptic enthusiasm from dominating the commonwealth by dissolving the so-called parliament of saints. The the, this uh, millennial element was so strong in the 17th and 18th century uh, in German pietism, and it played a major role in the doctrines of many sects that arose in the 19th century. The Irvinites, we're going to talk about them, the Mormons, the Jehovah Witnesses, and another group. Apart from these dissidents, the doctrine of Augustine remained unchallenged until the 17th century. Most Protestant reformers of the Lutheran and Anglican, um, Anglican. Anglican uh, traditions were not millennialists. Instead, they remained firmly attached to the Augustine th theology, for which they felt a particular affinity. But at the same time, Luther and his successors inherited the late medieval and very un-Augustine um, uh, uh, um, the, the idea of going on with this apocalyptic reading of history, identifying the Roman church as the great heart. So here's, here's where, where we come into play, and, and this is kind of our wheelhouse. So do we have a... I don't think we have a Geneva Bible. Not down here. So no. this, is, this, is, this is, for me, kind of where we're going we're gonna to really pick up here in a second. And we might... Um, we're probably going to go for two and a half hours tonight. Did we do, ever do a three-hour show? Is oh, that too yeah. long? Okay. We did three hours and 20 minutes with David last week. Okay, well, how long you got? I had to break it up. Okay, I'm here. I'm here. I'm in it to win it, baby. I'm on fire. This is exciting to me. Okay, so we're at the Geneva. Don't freak them out by telling them how long you're going to go. I'm not telling you. It's just like with Jesus. Ain't <laughs> <laughs> hey, telling you. Okay, so in the Geneva Bible, and this is where personally... So just personally, Michelle and I grew up in a premillennial church. You don't have to give me your arguments. I know them all. I know them all. I grew up with them. I know them. You don't. Here's the thing. Once somebody has come out of a belief system, mm -hmm. they're on the outside. Okay. It's like a Mormon that was all the way at the hierarchy and mm -hmm. then they leave. You don't. Unfortunately, I can discuss with you pre premillennial doctrine. We could argue it as 
we could argue it as well as anyone else. I can debate both sides of this because I grew up in it. I watched Jack Van Ippy and Hal Lindsey. Hal Lindsey and who's the heavier wig iron? No offense. Um, I think that was Jack Van Ippy, wasn't it? No, no, no. The dark hair guy is still alive. He's going around to Israel all the time. Oh, yeah. I forget his he's, name. He's on TBN all the time. You guys know what I'm talking about. Um, I'm going to say BB, but um, uh, what's his Benjamin name? Netanyahu. No, no, no. There's a teacher that I had at school. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know it. You don't have to say, but Leah, don't you know this argument about premillennial dispensationalism? I don't know all the teachings of dispensationalism because they have um, changed them it, over time. It morphs over time. But I know the premillennial doctrine because I grew up with it. I was, uh, I watched the Left Behind movies. I was only allowed to watch TBN. I have it ingrained in my DNA. It's hard to get out. It's like mRNA in my DNA. Mm. I've had to get the spike protein out of my system. Right. Okay. It's all I was able to consume morning, noon, and night. Okay. If I wanted to watch TV and I would sit there and you know what? God bless them because I'm not mad. I'm just sad because if somebody, if I'm starving and somebody feeds me GMO corn every day, at least I have some food. Okay. But it's not good and it's not nutritious. But it's still food. And so I'm grateful for TBN. And I'm grateful for those end timers who were so passionate about the Bible. And I don't believe the Van Ippies were evil or bad people. I believe that they were just wrong. And I believe that they led to a nation of people who left their post. And I feel that one day they're going to turn around. Mm. And these people, what I want is for people to wake up. I love when people are passionate about the word of God. And so we would turn on TBN because when you're reading the scriptures, do you know that God can talk to you beyond the interpretation that somebody else may have for that scripture? Exactly. Because the word of God is alive and quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, dividing to the, a soul and sunder. And so thank God for you and your pink hair, lady. And thank God because you kept me on a right path. Jan Crouch. Grant, Jan Crouch. Jan and Paul Crouch. I felt the love of God inside of you guys. And I know that at the time, some of the only big name preachers were preaching this in times. And you wanted to have big name preachers to come and, and preach on your network. And I, I get you. And I forgive you. I forgive you for teaching me false teachings. But I want you to know that it was never inside of me. You want to know why? Because my mom. I didn't realize this till I was talking to Corey and Serge. When did you change? Why was never an end timer? I wrote songs about Jesus coming back. But you know what? To me, and maybe this is for you, Christy, it's an exciting time. I want to see Jesus. And I do. When I leave, I want to go out like Elijah. Okay? Um, I love Jesus so much. But my mom would say something. She would always tell me in the midst of living in government housing, in the midst of an abusive alcoholic father, in the midst of trauma, she said, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. And she would instill in Michelle and I, you can do anything God tells you to do. You are great. You have the power of God inside of you. You can lead 
if you're led by the Holy Spirit. She'd always put this caveat. She didn't want me to excel in public school because mm -hmm. she knew what they were teaching me was like a satanic temple. And so if I brought home an A, she's like, eh, no big deal. Unlearn it, please, for me, okay? Uh, she wanted me to learn the word of God inside and out. And so in that, I'm excited and I'm feeling victorious, mm -hmm. no matter what, no matter what comes my way. Yeah. And so... I don't know when I stopped believing that Jesus was going to come back in my lifetime, but I know that when I was going to Rama, and Pastor Hagen said, Jesus is coming back in my lifetime, I remember thinking, no, he's not. So I want to address one thing, and I would ask... And he didn't. Uh, uh, Christy, when you're leaving your comments, try not to do kind of personal accusations, and we will try to do the same. Um, and I think that, that, that that's always our goal. But when you say that we're using weak arguments, I want to take you back to, once again, what we presented with Matthew 24, for those of you that joined later in the program and you didn't see us address this. When it talks about the one, the, the, the two scriptures that are mostly used for the rapture are 1 Thessalonians 4 and Matthew 24. We see that um, one will be lying. Can they see this? They can't see it. Bring I mean, it up I for can, them. Okay, yeah, hang on. Can. One will be lying and one will be, you know, taken away. Hang on, I don't have it in the right window, so I gotta pop it in the other the window. If you want to call the bottom of this a weak argument, we are literally never gonna see eye to eye, and I and I just mean that in love, because um, you're so stuck. Because you you're so you stuck. You're telling us that else. we're stuck. But if you can if you can look at this bottom part, where we say where the Bible says, not we, where the Bible says here, um, is, all this stuff is. is gonna be taken away. So. Um, all this stuff is all these people are going to be taken away. All right. One will be lying. One will be taken away. And it ends with the Lord of that servant shall come in a day when he looks not for him. And in an hour that he is not aware of and shall cut him asunder and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. And there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. If you take the rapture that we're going to be taken away. And from then the you, come. it doesn't from, say that. That's not what it's it saying. It says wrath is coming to take people away. Exactly. That is the strongest argument you can have. So if you want to call that a weak argument, we're literally never going to see it eye to eye. Or we're not going to, and not, not see eye to eye. That's not the point. I don't think you will learn well from us because we're, we're not basing. You have to come at it from a, a, logic. a, a logical standpoint. Context. To, in context. That is not a weak you argument. You have to at least concede that this scripture does not mean rapture. No way can you use that scripture for Christians. And if, you cannot put together what is being written here with 1 Thessalonians 4, mm -mm. where it's a beautiful, wonderful thing when we meet God up in the clouds, in the sky, I and, should say. And this is about And being punishment. cut in sunder and appointed a portion with the hypocrites, there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Yeah. They are not the same event. Yeah. I, I, I love you and I'm so glad that you're here. But your comments, when you say things like that, they're distracting and also not helpful because they're not true. This is a very, very, very solid sound and here's the thing. scriptural I argument. I haven't made any arguments in this entire show. All I have done is showed you what other people believed. Either you believe what they believe or you don't, and that's okay. Right. But we, you need to know what other people believed right. and how the church And believed. I said that already. We're not, tonight's show is not really 
trying... intended to prove anything one way or the other. But the how primary did focus the, uh, is how on. How did we get to where we're at today? What has been believed throughout church history? So try to stay on topic and not get so focused on you girls and Revelation Red Pill, and you're trying to voice this all on us. But stay on tonight's topic, which is what they believed. Yeah, and this is undisputed. Right. Undisputed, even amongst premillennialists. Right. This is this is literally this history that we're going over is agnostic. It doesn't have a it's view. It's from the Encyclopedia Britannica. And it's, it's a, I, have, I have other sources that I've grabbed from. I felt like this was the, the best put together. Um and so this is the way, this is the truth of how people believed. Whether it's good or bad, we haven't gotten to yet. Right. And okay. we will get to that. I'm not saying we're not going to give our opinion. Right. And yes, of course, this show is peppered with our opinions, but we're trying to put their beliefs in context of the show to help you guys decide, okay, wait a minute. What do I believe? What do I believe? Yeah. What do I believe? And where did it come from? Right. Because it came from somewhere. Did the Holy Spirit just reveal it to you alone? Right. Where did it come from? Um, so for me, when I'm talking about the kingdom, I ask God to reveal Jesus to me in the Old Testament, and then I realize that other people believe this way. It's right. kind of cool. And trust me, we're not, uh, she says, you're, you're, good night. I hope you don't leave, but if you have to, that's okay. I get it. Um, the, you can preach to the choir. We're actually not preaching to the choir. Most of the people that are coming here, and like I started off the show, the feedback that we have been getting from this are people, learning are people who have never heard this before. And yeah. they're going, oh my gosh, this all makes so much sense. Yeah. We're not preaching. We're, pre we're preaching to the converted, meaning you have to be a Christian to get this. But we're definitely not here to, to give this to people who are like, oh yeah, I know that. Yeah. Exactly. No right? way. That's no. not why we're here. We understand. And we knew this going into it. We knew going into this that there were going to be a lot of people that are really hard lined on a lot of things. And that if in order to get it all, you're going to have to stay through the whole series. You can't just come and watch five episodes or six epi episodes. And, and you go. can't expect us to be able to answer your questions like boom, 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 boom. Because a lot of each one, like one of these questions will require a host of of can we get, things to back it up to now? get to it. Okay. So yes, we only have I hate to leave her, but if you have to go, I get it. I totally understand. We just may not be the people for you, but, if you but wanted, I would like for you to here's stay. The thing. We do want people to come who believe, but it's difficult if you're just constantly arguing and you're not going to say, well, I can see that. You know what I mean? Because that's right. how a discussion works, right? Okay. Um, so anyways... This is kind of our wheelhouse when it comes to, um, and I don't want to ever hurt anybody, and I don't want people to go. Unfortunately, if you keep putting things in the comment section, you want us to address them, right? And that gets kind of hairy. And it feels like debate. And it feels like debate, right. Um, and so I don't ever want to put, I don't want, ever want to just kind of pull somebody out and, and focus on them or seem adversarial. Because that's not what this is about. If you want to continue on the world getting better and better and fight with me and still believe the rapture and still believe that, fine. Go right ahead. I don't going to stop you. But don't give up to the, the evil. Right. And don't and don't just don't give in to evil. That's all I'm asking people. This is what I believe. This is this is my viewpoint. This is what I've come to um on how we get that. But if we can agree on not giving up to evil, then we can be boom together, pals. Right? Um it's not important. That's that, that's kind of what I wanted to bring to you guys, actually. Was it's not important 
whether you believe in a rapture. It's not important whether you believe Jesus is going to come and set up um, a thousand-year reign unless that belief system sees you getting excited that things are getting worse and seeing that things getting worse means Jesus is coming back sooner. That is what I'm trying to change. And that's what God wants to change. Okay. So now we're at the time of the time of time of the pilgrims because they believe they were setting up the thousand year reign on the earth. They, if you read the study notes of the pilgrims, you're going to see that they do a historical view of revelation, much like we talked about. And they thought that, um, and I've got the, uh, the reign of Pope Gregory, I think the third or something. I don't have all their, their, their guys in my head. But the essence was we're coming to the end of the tribulation mm -hmm. and we're coming to the thousand year reign. And the Puritans developed that even farther than the pilgrims did. And they believe that they were coming to set up here in America, the new Jerusalem. And we're actually going to get to a place where I hope takes a weight off your shoulders because you're going to see how, when you feel, when anybody feels that the tribulation is over or becoming over, then the gospel spreads. You see that consistently throughout history. But as long as people think that they're in a tribulation or there's going to be a tribulation, you run, you hide, you're afraid. It's like flight or fight mode. Right. So um, you've got the Augustian uh, millennial worldview, survived the Reformation, but did not survive uh, kind of the revolution of the 17th century, where it actually kind of began to do a of several different things. Um, you've got the Renaissance, and, and this is where it gets secular in my Encyclopedia Britannica, so I'm going to kind of put that to the side for a little bit. And I'm going to go to um, the Joseph Mead, a 17th century Anglican biblical scholar, pioneered progressive millennialism, ignoring the traditional allegorical interpretation. He took a fresh look at the revelation of John and concluded that it did in fact hold the promise of a literal kingdom of God. Redemption, he believed, would be completed within human history, though. Okay? And Jesus would return after the millennium. Here we have post-millennialism. Now, if you want to do more research on post-millennialism, which I'm not saying that, that that's the, the view that Michelle and I take, it's kind of, you know what? I'm kind of taking, I take a different view than a box, all right. And I don't like boxes, but boxes are helpful to identify different pieces. Yeah. Okay. It's a little bit more like a uh, golden corral. All right. So when we're done, when you guys, what I hope when we get through this, just like our Revelation Red Pill episodes one through 15, which you can go back and watch, you come to your own conclusion. I don't need you to believe exactly what I believe. That's not what this is about. That's, and, and that's not what this was ever about. Um, that you believe exactly what I believe on You're all not the end going time to. stuff. And, and let me let you in on a little secret. So we, uh, someone was asking in the chat, how long have you all had this show? Well, this specific series that we're doing, this is our, our sixth episode. Three years ago, we did 15 of these. They're called Revelation Red Pill Academy. Um, but recently, the past five episodes that we've had, we've had on Jason Heidinger, Serge DeRosa, Corey Gray, David Sorensen and Joy and Matt there. None of us, I can guarantee you, not any of us believe exactly the same way as the others on this topic. But where we all agree is that the kingdom of God is advancing right now 
and it just and of the increase of his government and peace and we're there not shall be no looking end. for a great tribulation and we're not looking for a great tribulation and we do not believe in a rapture at all right okay exactly. so that's so that's where, where we can all land on the same ideas right okay so uh with this literal kingdom of god um redemption he believed would be completed in human history and jesus would return after the millennium that's post-millennium you can look up ken gentry Bruce Gore, Apocalypse in Space and Time is great because he does this in, in t a series of 10. I'm going to show that to you guys while we're talking. And he does this so beautifully as a really great teacher and explains to you without telling you what he believes. Yeah. What other people believe. Well, actually, he does throughout. He'll a say, bit. then this is kind of, he'll give you all the different options, right? And this is, this is kind of where we land. Mm -hmm. This is where I land on it, right? But not really. And he will say, really, he no, he does. I've listened to him a lot. He'll say, and this is kind of where I tend to. But the apocalypse in space and time is really focused in on those other things, and he does yeah. it in a really platonic way. Like he's not trying to disprove anybody. Right. He's like, and this is what they believe. So let me do a screen share really quickly, so I can show you guys how to find Bruce Gore. You, this is if you're hungry for this, and you guys have been really excited about the series that we're doing. Just put in the search bar on YouTube, Bruce Gore apocalypse in space and time there's an entire playlist there are 60 videos there you will love them gary damar and um i always forget his name the street mormon preacher jeff durbin jeff durbin okay those are really great on this and i don't have the book because i gave it away to stacy and john and i i uh, thought i got a new one i'm getting a new one um the last days according to christ mm -hmm. by you know his name R.C. Sproul. Yeah. Okay. So um, that's post-millennialism. He, he brought in post-millennial thought. Revelation apparently contained a historical record of the progress of this kingdom, and the other scholars began speculating about where they were located in the prophetic timetable. Thus, this kind of progressive millennialism, not progressive socialism, um, appeared to be identical to the apocalyptic uh, millennial early church historians of the 12th and 13th century. But there the similarity ended. The kingdom would uh, would not occur as a dramatic reversal of history, nor would the second advent of Christ occur to rescue humanity from destruction. Mm. That's what we believe. Right. Jesus is not coming to rescue us from destruction. He's coming for a pure spotless bride. Uh, history did not need rever reversing of these early enlightenment Christians who emphasized, um, the, they say reason, they did not. They emphasized the working of Christ within you, okay? Um, and saw the world on a march forward. Okay. They viewed the world. They viewed the record of the past as a story of victory over equal evil and a conquest of Satan. They also rejected traditional apocalyptic assumptions, i.e. that victory would be snatched from the jaws of defeat only by a miraculous deliverance for them. The progress of history was now continuously upward and the kingdom of God ever closer, but it would uh, arrive without this final apocalyptic Ferber. Now, um, those who were 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 believing this, are some of your favorites, okay? You have um, a uh, some of our favorites. Anyway. Yeah, well, I believe your favorites. American Puritans were interested in the millennium, especially Jonathan Edwards, who adopted this view that God is moving. And he's always been on the move. And he's, in the, he's on the move in me. And he's on the move in you. And you know what he had the benefit of? What did he have the benefit of? Hindsight. He's now approaching the 1700s, almost 2,000 years of history, where you can look back and you can say, 
you know, we have, we have something, we have two things to benefit us. We have the entire word of God in a language we can read. Mm. And we have history yeah. to show us that God has been moving, that the gospel has spread to every continent in the world, to every, almost every language, almost every tribe, that we serve a victorious God who doesn't want anyone to perish, right. but to all to have the gospel. Now, has every person heard the gospel yet? No. So should Jesus come back yet? No. No, we want to tell everybody about Jesus. And we want to, you know, the, this is where things really begin to change. Jonathan Edwards, in the power of the Holy Spirit, in his prayer, saw, he saw it. He saw it. And guess what? It wasn't something new. This wasn't a new teaching. Throughout history, there have been different views of this kind of post-millennial view. So I want to address um, something again with this defeatist mindset. Like, like Lee and I keep saying, I really don't care what you believe. I don't care where you land, as long as it's not in the defeatist camp, okay? The defeatist camp, and this is why I say that it's defeatist theology, it's escapism. If you are, what's that movie, Hacks, is it Hacksaw Ridge, where the guy just keeps, the guy that was a conscientious objector, and he went and saved all those, you have climbing up to the mountain and bringing the bodies down. Is that mm. the one I'm, the, 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 the correct movie? For those of you that haven't seen it, it's an, it's an excellent film. Um, and he just keeps trying to save one more, just one more, just one more. At the very minimum, I want to be careful how I say this. I don't want to say that I don't have respect for people that don't have this stance, but I want to say that out of everybody that is a premillennialist, you believe in the rapture, you believe in the seven-year tribulation, all of that. I have the utmost respect for those that say, please, Jesus, don't come back yet. Please let me get one more. 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 You can't come back yet. There aren't enough souls. There are not enough souls. Because if you don't take that stance at the very minimum, you don't have the heart of the Father. So for everyone out there that's saying, I just can't wait for Jesus to come back. I just can't wait for Jesus to come back. And then you hear Leah and I say, guys, it's a narcissistic, self-obsessed, escapist mentality. And then, oh, no, it's not. How dare you? Of course, everyone should want to want to be with the Lord. I think that God wants the servant that keeps saying, just let me get one more. I don't care how hard it is. I don't care how much I have to struggle. Just let me get one more, one more soul for the kingdom of God. A hundred more souls for the kingdom of God. A thousand more souls. Don't come back until we have a million more souls, right? If you're going to take that premillennial stance, you ought to have the heart of the father that says, not yet, not yet, not yet. One more, one more, a million more, five million more, 10 million more souls. Because we're talking about eternity, eternity with Christ, not this, please, it's so bad. Just take us now. I want to be with you now. That's selfish. It just is. And I don't have any other way to dice it. It's selfish. But I have good news for you guys. The kingdom of God is expanding and we're not on a timeline and a time limit for winning souls. So let me explain to you. You guys know the pilgrims. You know we love them. William Bradford. A great hope and inward zeal they had of laying some good foundation. Or at least to make some way thereunto. For the propagation and advancing of the gospel of the kingdom of Christ in those remote parts of the world. Yea, 
though they should be stepping stones unto others for performing such a great a work. Stepping stones of building something, on and on. John Winthrop, governor of Massachusetts, wrote of his op optimism for the spread of the gospel in the new world, his famous sermon, A Model of Christian Charity. Winthrop penned these words while en route to the new world on board the ship Arabella. Winthrop outlined the purposes of God for New England, and he described a harmonious Christian community whose laws and government would logically proceed from a godly and purposeful arrangement. We shall find that the God of Israel is among us. When ten of us shall be able to resist a thousand of our enemies, when he shall make us a praise and glory, that men shall say of succeeding plantations, the Lord made it like that of New England. For we must consider that we shall be as a city upon a hill. The eyes of all people are upon us, so that if we shall deal falsely with our God in this work we have undertaken, and so cause him to withdraw his present help from us, we shall be made a story and byword throughout the world. We shall open the mouths of enemies to speak evil of the ways of God and all professors for God's sake. We shall shame the faces of many of God's worthy servants and cause their prayers to be turned into curses upon us till we be consumed out of the good land whither we are going and to shut up this discourse with the exhortation of Moses, that faithful servant of the Lord and his last farewell to Israel. Beloved, there is now set before us life and good, death and evil, and that we are commanded this day to love the Lord our God, to love one another and to walk in his ways and to keep his commandments and his ordinance and his laws and the articles of our covenant with him that we may live and be multiplied and that the Lord our God may bless us in the land whether we go to possess it. But if our hearts shall turn away so that we will not obey, but shall be seduced and worshiped other gods, our pleasures, our prophets and serve them, it is propounded unto us this day we will surely perish out of the good land whither we pass over this vast sea to possess. Therefore, let us choose life that we, our seed, may live, and by obeying his voice and cleaving to him, for he is our life and prosperity. And I want to jump in here to give you a punchline in the future. So in 1850, there was an ideology that came about. You'll see John Darby, Edward Irving created new theology called dispensationalism in which there's a girl named Margaret MacDonald who puts together first Thessalonians four and she puts together Matthew 24. Mm -hmm. No one had ever done this before in all of church history. No one had ever put Matthew 24 with first Thessalonians four. It had not happened. She puts it together in a time of prophecy. Darby takes it, creates a new theology spreads it to Dwight L. Moody, the Moody Bible Institute, Dallas uh, Theological Seminary, and a man named C.I. Schofield, who was a CAD, who left his wife and kids. And really, we're going to get into all this detail the next time we finish this this episode. But I'm going to get to a punchline. That'll be the next next week, I, I believe, next week. Or... So we're pushing the guys off one week? We haven't decided yet. We haven't decided yet. So, because we don't have time to get to them today tonight, because this is, we're not done here. So... The, this theology came about with C.I. Schofield made a reference Bible. And he put headings like the coming of Christ. And this Bible was printed by the Oxford Press in England by the Plymouth Brethren to get this kind of a Judaism, Zionism uh, fervor that the church and the Jews would be separated. Mm -hmm. And they're separated in the Bible. And it went out. To, to millions of pastors and millions of churches. 
Now, something else happened beyond just the believing of a rapture. And this is a punchline, and, and, and this is really important to understand. The Plymouth Brethren were a group of people, and men and women, who were tired with the, the Anglican Church and the kind of the stoicness, the, the what's the word I'm looking for? It's just very traditional and um, kind of the same old, same old, mm -hmm. right? What, I don't know what word I'm looking for. Me neither. Um, well, you're going to the same thing over and over again. You go up, you go to church. Ritualistic? You ritualistic. It was ritualistic, not full of the life of God. You're a new Christian. You go to church, and it's deader than a doornail. Snore. And you had to, be, in order to become clergy, you had to be ordained by the Church of England, which was under the government, mm -hmm. the, the king or queen at the time. Well, they began. there were Christians who began to read in the Word of God that, well, a king or queen doesn't appoint me. And I could be a minister and we can set up our own church. And I am a king and a queen. Right. And so really good Christians who love God and got into the spirit and got the gifts of the spirit would meet together. The problem is, is that particular movement was, had a head rather than a corporate body. And that head was John Darby. And that John Darby was such a head that he eventually split from the Plymouth Brethren and became the exclusive Brethren. Meaning we are so special. We have this special knowledge and you do not. And they butted heads with all the clergy around there because they called out all the clergy for all their, all their problems. And Charles Spurgeon, who was kind of a premillennialist, hated John Darby, hated the brethren because they were so false in their teachings. Is that the punchline? No, here's the punchline. In their fervor to be close to God. I'm reading a book that was written in 1887, kind of exposing the teachings. I want to know, what do they teach? You try to Google the Plymouth Brethren. They have, they still exist today. I'm, I'm convinced it's a, it's a conspiracy theory because uh, my mom, a conspiracy. a conspiracy, because they have all the Google results as positive, but there's only like 56,000 left in the, in the world, but they have to cover their backs because they're the beginning of all this new modern end times theology and somebody's got to cover it up. And I'm not sure if it's them or other people connected to it, but mom will tell you this, Josh who very, very little known uh, website. We're, on, We're on Josh who yeah. Josh who has a web browser. When I use Josh who's web browser and I put in Plymouth brethren or anything, boom, they all come up all the stuff exposing them. So I get this book from 1887. I want to know what they're teaching. One of the things that would happen is that they believed that Jesus Christ was coming and it was imminent. So they did what many people do. They left their earthly professions and jobs. Mm -hmm. So one naval captain, an admiral, I believe, I, it's too worldly. I'm not going to be in this British Navy anymore. Okay, whatever. You don't want to be part of the British Empire. I can see that. A magistrate, a judge says, well, what if... A Christian comes to me and he's done something bad, wrong, and should be punished for it. But the law says I need to punish him. But he's come and he's contrite. As a Christian, I should forgive him, but I can't as a magistrate. So I'm just going to quit being a magistrate. And by the way, Jesus is coming back anyways. So what does it matter? So all these people, they left. They were John Locke went straight into the government with William and Mary and was like, we got to apply the gospel to the government. 
these people hurled up in a corner and they did exactly what Jesus told them not to do. They took their talents and they hid them. They hid them waiting. And when the son came, he said, what did you do with the talents? And they hid them. And so something happened as a result of this in the 1800s when this finally came to America. And we're going to get back to American history for a minute because you're going to see what changed. This was demonic. The devil set tells you to hide your light. Mm-hmm. You guys right now, listen, listen really closely. You are wondering why there are no good Republicans. Because of Darbyism and Brotheranism. I'm going to say it again. This, this Darbyism and Brotheranism has seeped into, I don't care whether you believe Jesus is going to come back for a thousand year reign. That's not the problem. Okay? The problem is Darbyism and Brotheranism seeped through and has been carried like mRNA into your DNA. And so if I don't convince you that Jesus is not going to come back and reign on this earth for a thousand years by solid biblical teaching, fine. But what I got to do, what I got to do is show you why the world got bad. Hmm. It wasn't because Jesus is coming back. It's because Christians left the world thinking that Jesus is coming back. They stop being judges. They stop sending their kids to law school. And when you see people who come out of this, um, like uh, waking from a stupor, they will all, like many people will tell you, Bruce Gore will tell you, once I caught a hold of premillennialism and I'm being taught this, it's like, well, I shouldn't even be in college anymore. And our first episode that we had with Sparrow Pictures, Joy Thayer says, I got pregnant at what, 16? Because I believe Jesus was coming back right now and I wanted to have a baby. People are literally everywhere. People are making life decisions based on this idea that Jesus is coming back right now. I have people who are spending their, uh, their, their children's inheritance because they don't think their kids are going to need it. I have people who are not having kids. Because who, it's going to get so bad. It's going to get really bad. Or because they think Jesus is going to come back. Right. Okay. So what happened in the 1850s with this brotheranism that came on the on the pill of this premillennialism, Jesus come back. They believed in 1850 he was going to come back so much so that they decided you got to be holy, you got to be righteous, you have to be out of the world. And so they left the world. And now you're like, oh my gosh, why didn't Carrie Lake get elected? Oh my gosh, why don't we have a good attorney general? Oh my gosh, why is Mike DeWine our horrible governor? Oh my gosh, why do we only have Trump to pick? Oh my goodness, why don't we have any good senators? Because your parents didn't send you to a good Christian college and say, if you're called by God, go be a lawyer, go be a doctor, go be a judge. Or a politician. Okay, now, Public servant. now the world is so bad that I am telling people to, to step out of the system. But so not that we like can that. regroup not like that. and go back into the system right. to change the system. I'm not saying that, oh, well, just give it up. Give it up. I'm saying we need a miracle now because right now. We had while, it, but we lost it. And now we've got to actually go back and get it. So right now, those colleges and universities ha- are swarming with demons. And so if you send your child there, on, they're going to come out a uh, probably some sort of transgender social justice worker. Okay, so now you're make we have made it 
10 times harder because we left the systems. We left being judges. We left being lawyers. And you'll know it by the fruit. Exactly. That's what we're saying here tonight. And that's what, that's what we're presenting. So if you guys, you. you guys are here because you're angry about what's happening. You're angry about the vaccines. You're angry about the new world order. You're angry about the world uh, shutdowns. And deep inside, not a lick of you want to stop fighting. And Darla makes a good point. Darla says, oh, good grief. Jesus is coming back, but he said to continue until he comes. He said, occupy until I come. But Darla, the point that we're making here is that when the modern end times theory came into to being... 175 years ago and then throughout history when certain um apocalyptic ideas would come into play every time that people bought into this like it's going to happen right now the gospel of jesus was muted like people stopped occupying until he came so the fruit of all of these ideas is always without repentance it is always that it stops people from expanding the gospel one last thing is um lms says well, the first comment is that they've they've always known about the destruction of the temple, right? Um, I can even remember a sermon about gold in the cracks, but then they say, could you girls be wrong? That is a valid question, and I want to answer it. Yes, about the nitty-gritty. Exactly. But not about the overarching thing. Because- asking that question is like asking a Christian, could you be wrong about Jesus? Yeah. No. Could I be wrong about certain interpretations and certain details? Yes. When it comes to what Jesus came to preach, expanding the kingdom of God, I came to preach the kingdom of God. No, we are not wrong. When Jesus said in Matthew 24, all of this, this generation will not pass away until all of these things happen. And then it did in 70 AD. Could we be wrong about that? No, no. We're not, no, there's, that is irrefutable. It's, we're not wrong about that. All of the other kind of little itty bitty details. Is Jesus going to come back one day? You know, what, what exactly is the millennial reign? Yes, yes, yes. But we're going to, is that essential to advance in the kingdom? No. And the idea behind Revelation Red Pill Academy is twofold. To encourage you and to ensure that the kingdom of, that the, the, I call us the kingdom of God, the church, the body of Christ, to ensure that we understand our position in Christ, that we are not defeated. All power and authority has been given unto us. No weapon formed against us shall prosper. We are more than conquerors. We are more than overcomers. We are the head. We are not the tail. That is what we need to ingrain in the body of Christ. I'm an overcomer. Right? Okay. Until the tribulation comes. No, that's, see, that's exactly, it's, it's a bipolar theology. Until the Antichrist and the beast come. Come on. It's and schizophrenic. Then the other twofold, the other part of it is this. You, we are going, to, and we still haven't even gotten there, guys. And here's the thing. I understand what Can Christy we get on was to saying earlier. Yeah. I understand what Christy was saying earlier. Like, well, you haven't given me all that. Because there, each sentence could be dissected for an hour. Have you, you, Leah reads these books. They're this thick. Okay. On this stuff. Because it takes a lot. There's so much depth to it, right? But the, but to bring you guys the history of how all of this got started, this is going to take several, several episodes. I kind of thought we could get it done in like two or three. I'm totally wrong. It's probably going to take like Okay, 10. John Cotton. Let's go. Okay. The visible state of New Jerusalem, which shall flourish many years upon earth before the end of the world. Right. John Wesley. Wesley taught that the revivals that saw millions swept to the kingdom of God in the 1700s, known as the First Great Awakening, would transform society as well. 
love, honesty, sobriety, chastity, prudence, generosity, and, and health would flow from hearts transformed by the love of God. Changed people would change the world. Scriptural holiness would spread across the land. And, and that is from Michael Lewis's Wesley's Eschatological Optimism. A revivalist, the revivalist John Wesley and Jonathan Edwards. You know what they taught? Mm. You know what, guys? I think if we repent of our sins, then God's going to bless us. <laughs> it seems so simple. I think that if you want as a nation to be blessed, the more people that have been transformed by Jesus Christ and have a personal relationship with him. Oh, John Adams said something like that. Our constitution is made only for religious and moral people. It's wholly inadequate to the government of any other. So when Christians start putting their kids in a secular school and 80% of Christians send their kids to public school and then they wonder, oh, the world is so bad. And Jesus is like, because y'all put your kids in a secular school that didn't teach them about me. Well, I taught them about you at home, but you put them as crabs in a bucket. And every time they tried to crawl out, their peers were saying, look at this video. Look at this. Let's. It's cool to wear this clothes. It's cool to hang out here. It's cool to watch this movie. And the degenerate minds of the kids, you wonder what happened to the Jesus. Why did we have a Jesus? Jesus revolution in the 1970s. Why? Because those kids were not taught about Jesus in school and they were hungry and they were lonely and they were looking for purpose. Children have a right to be taught the world science through the eyes of Jesus. It's so amazing when you see, when you have a Christian curriculum on science to see God's hand in science. To see God's hand in English and, and, and even previous literature. God's hand. God's hand. Not perfection, but God's hand. John Wesley. He wrote in the general spread of the gospel. Is it not then highly probable that God will carry on this work in the same manner as he has begun? That he will carry it on, I cannot doubt. However, Luther may affirm. That a revival of religion never lasts a generation. That is 30 years. Above a generation. Above, yeah. Whereas the present revival has already continued above 50. Or however prophets of evil may say. Can you believe that? Put yourself in a time where people can say this. Were, people are coming to know Jesus and they've been coming, they have been coming to be transformed for 50 years. No, that's crazy. We are getting ready to start a great revival. And you can decide whether you want to be driving the bus or pushing the bus. We're on a Wesley moment. We're in an Edwards moment. And you know what precipitated the revolution? What? Revival. revival. And what is revival? Repentance. And you know what we saw? I'm going to tell you what we saw. It was the early 1700s that the revival started. You know who grew up in that revival fervor? The founding fathers. George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, John Adams. Benjamin Franklin was an adult, but he was caught up in it too. He was part of it. And one thing that they found, they found personal repentance and family repentance. As for me and my house, we shall serve the Lord. And so as God had changed the hearts of a generation, then if you guys listen to our Christian heritage series today on the second amendment, there's one thing that, that, that was a common theme when they would hit some hardships. And what would they do, Michelle? Pray, fast and pray. 
and repent. And repent. And they would say words like holiness, righteousness. Have you heard holiness or righteousness in your church today? Jesus ain't coming back yet. You've, we've lost off revival. You don't even know revival is not feeling the presence of God. Revival is being transformed uh -oh. from a dead man to a live man, from a sinner to a saint, from a cad, from a thief, from a liar, from a homosexual, from an adulterer, from a fornicator, to somebody who is good and honest and kind and loving and gentle and peaceable. When Jesus transforms a human being and takes them from the kingdom of darkness, which is where you're at if you do not know him, and puts them in the, the kingdom of light, the new Jerusalem, you have all power in the world. Because Jesus said, I have all power and authority. Go, therefore. And Jonathan Edwards got this. And John Wesley got this. And they trained up an entire generation. Where they, did, did they get to everybody? Yeah, mm. no, there were some slave owners. Yeah, there were some bad guys who didn't get the revival. So, yeah, what was the answer? More revival. More hearts. And again, one more time, revival is not a feeling. Revival is a transformation. A drunkard to a good husband and father who loves and provides for them. And how does that propagate what did the founding fathers do and how were they educated they were educated according to the principles of jesus christ their textbooks literally taught them the alphabet a is for adam l is for licentiousness d is for debauchery the their whole curriculum the new england primer the mcguffey readers they're just they're 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 little catechisms they actually said catechisms in school they talked these catechisms um are not what you think it's not a catholic thing this right here. If you want to change the world, this is how you do it. For our podcasters, Leah's holding up a copy of the New England Primer. What is required in the second commandment? The second commandment requires the receiving, observing, and keeping pure and entire all such religious worship and ordinances as God has appointed in his word. That was in every school. Every child. What is your corrupt nature, Michelle? Right up top. My corrupt nature is empty of grace, bent unto sin, only unto sin, and that continually. What is sin? Sin is a transgression of the law. How many commandments of the law are there? Ten. What is the first commandment? Thou shalt have no other God before me. I should be able to answer all those without looking at the answers, actually. This is what was taught to kids. Good children should remember daily God their creator, redeemer, and sanctifier. So even churches today don't even talk about sanctification. What's sanctification? purification you come to know jesus and then you're transformed so your old nature slowly falls away and you go into the refiner's fire so if you used to curse you get sanctified so you stop cursing it takes some time to believe in love and serve him their parents to obey them in the lord their bible and catechism their baptism the lord's day the lord's death and resurrection their own death and resurrection and the day of judgment when all that are not fit for heaven must be sent to hell Wow. And they should pray to God in the name of Christ for saving grace. So I want to ask you a question. Could you imagine that being in all those, all those who didn't know Jesus, they're going to hell. Since this is going to be a two-parter on this series, is it possible 
to come back and revisit the rest of what you want to cover as far as the history of the view of the millennial, the millennium and the millennial reign, and still give people a little taste into the shocking found history of the uh, rapture that we talked about. I thought we did. Do you think we did enough? Yeah. Okay, we probably did. I think we did. Okay. Um, I just want yeah. to make sure that people get the, you know, Serge said he came last week for potato, steak and potatoes. He got lobster. He loves lobster. Lobster is actually a step up, but he's still craving steak and potatoes. I want to make sure that what they came for a craving that they you get with the rapture part. You have to understand what this is. This is what this is. This is the two. This is the two. We said we were covering yeah. two things. The history yeah. of what people believed about the millennial reign throughout since Jesus came and the shocking truth of the origins of the rapture theory. So this is part one. And then we're going to do part two which is a little bit harder to go over because it's hard to see when people make things up. All right, so uh, as with uh, as was the prevailing view of his day, Wesley thought that the thousand years referred to a present reality. You want to read that? What occurs from Revelation 20, 11 through 20, 11, 2011 through 22, 5 manifestly follows the things related in the 19th chapter, the thousand years came between. Whereas if they were past, neither the beginning nor the end of them would fall within this period. In a short time, those who assert that they are now at hand will appear to have spoken the truth. Meantime, let every man consider what kind of happiness he expects therein. The danger does not lie in maintaining that the thousand years are yet to come, but interpreting them, whether past or to come, in a gross and carnal sense. In a carnal sense. All right, so in the hope... It's kind of like you can't err if you believe in Jesus... And this is what we tell secular people, right? Well, listen, if we're wrong, then you go, then you sleep and you go into the ether of nothing. But if we're right and you don't accept Christ. And you think that there's going to be a, a thousand year reign when Jesus is coming back. That's right. a carnal sense. Exactly. Okay. He says this also. Um, the, Dr. Vic Reasoner explains that Wesley taught a relative perfection, not a sinless perfection. Which led to Wesley's concept of a millennium as that period in human history when the human race reaches a maturity level exhibited by a greater fear of God and his commandments when sinful practices are considered vices and Christian character is a sought virtue. It will be a time when Christian love is demonstrated instead of war and the worship of God creates an awareness of the holy. It will not be a time of absolute perfection or utopia. Wesley has had views on both subjects, which were implicit in his writings. What was implicit in Wesley was developed explicitly by Wesleyan theologian, theolo, theologians as post-millennialism. This development was consistent uh, with the foundation laid by Wesley. Now, George Whitfield was another evangelist um, from... Um, Before the, the Revolutionary War. So... George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, like we mentioned, all these people that would have been growing up at the time would have been raised during the time of George Whitfield. So George Whitfield and, and, and Jonathan, John, Jonathan, uh, George Whitfield and um, Wesley came over from England to preach. They were part of the um, they, Methodists because they thought there was a method to Christianity. So the scriptures are so far from encouraging us to plead for a uh, diminution of divine influence in these last days of the gospel that on the contrary we are encouraged to expect hope long and pray for larger and more extensive showers of divine influence than any former age hath ever ex yet experienced for are we not therein taught to pray that we may be filled with the fullness of God and to wait for a glorious epoch when the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of God as the waters cover the seas do not all the saints on earth and all the spirits of just men made perfect in heaven nay all the angels and the archangels around the throne of the Most High God, nay, uh, night and day, join in the united cry, Lord Jesus, let thy kingdom come. He's saying, let's bring the kingdom. He's not saying that there's going to be a time of turmoil or tribulation, but the whole earth, we're on a 
positive forward march, okay? So Jonathan Edwards, Gilbert Tennant, Samuel Davies, um, these guys pressed forward. Now, Jonathan Edwards, considered by many of the America's greatest theologian, was an ardent post-millennialist. His writings fully developed the implications of a millennial golden age. Edwards is best known for his role in the Great Awakening, which began as a revival in several churches along the Connecticut River Valley. Through his preaching, revivalistic fervor spread throughout the colonies. Evangelical zeal and post-millennial hope went hand in hand. Edwards' preachers preaching that the millennium would be realized in its fullest sense in America fueled uh, societal reformation and, and America. Basically, the embryo of America was started in this. And in his book on the history of redemption, Edwards theorized that the advance of the gospel would someday spread to Africa and Asia, and it did. He prophesied, and people took his prophecies and said, I'm going to go to Asia. And Africa was like 0%, 0.2% Christian. I want to just, I know. And then in like 100 years, Christianity spread through the whole continent because of people like Jonathan Edwards. Once again, for those of you, and I, 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 I you will learn these these phrases so that it's going to be easier moving forward. When we say post-millennial, did we have them write that one down? Post-millennial is really just the idea that we're in the millennial reign right that now. That we are expanding the gospel. So when Jesus said, let me tell you what the kingdom of God is like. It's like a little leaven that works itself, in the, works itself into a lump and it grows and grows and grows. It's like a little seed and it turns into a big tree, meaning it starts out small, 12 guys, mm -hmm. and grows and grows and grows and grows and grows. That is post-millennialism, meaning that the kingdom of God started when Jesus came and it is continuing to grow even now and will yeah. continue into into perpetuity, right. we, we, we can tend to get stuck at this idea where we have to be a generation where some say in, in the chat, like, well, well, where's the hope? The hope is that we get to be a part of the gospel, gospel. The, the kingdom of God expanding. It doesn't have to come to a culmination in our lifetime right. for it to be hopeful. So Edwards wrote, there's a kind of veil now cast over the greater part of the world, which keeps them in darkness. But then this veil shall be destroyed. And he will destroy in this mountain the face of the covering cast over all people. And the veil that is spread over all nations. Isaiah 25, 7. And then all countries and nations, even those in the now most ignorant, shall be full of light and knowledge. And I'm going to prophesy that. The Muslim countries will be full of light and knowledge. China will be full of light and knowledge. India will be full of light and knowledge of God. Great knowledge shall prevail everywhere. It may be hoped that then many of the Negroes and the Indians will be divines. And the excellent books we publish in Africa and Ethiopia and in now the most barbarous countries and not only learned men but others of more ordinary education shall then be very knowing in religion and the eyes of them that see shall not be dim and the ears of them that hear shall be hearkened and the heart of those of the rash shall understand knowledge Isaiah 32 3 and 4 that is the preaching of the gospel and that is what I am not wrong about and I will never be wrong about in the first half of the 1700s, when Edwards was writing, the Christian population of Africa was less than 1% in Asia. That Africa would be converted to the gospel was unbelievably optimistic. Uh, this person writing says, I have often been associated with successful Christian missionaries in Africa and India, and now Russia. Just as Edwards predicted, I have personally encountered many thousands of young people from these nations who were converted to Christ. If Edwards predicted an unheard of outpouring of God's spirit among these nations that is considered matter of a fact to us today, then we should be encouraged to imagine what is yet to come in the future. In all of Edward's writings and sermons, he portrayed all of human history as a progressive march towards victory of the kingdom of God. Write that down. We are in a progressive march 
a victory for the kingdom of God. Say it with me right now. We, we are, are in a progressive march toward victory for the kingdom, kingdom of God. God. One more right time. Now. We, we are, are in a progressive march of victory for the kingdom, kingdom of God. God right you now. have not because you ask that. And when you ask, you ask amiss. When you speak forth death, you will have death. And when you speak forth life, you will have life. Africa is going to be even have a greater outpouring of the Jesus Christ. India is going to have a greater outpouring of Jesus Christ. We are going to see a third great awakening in America. Speak it! Speak life, not death! You don't want to see your kids dying of heroin! Speak life! Stop speaking death and destruction! All of us! That is what is so harmful about these apocalyptic Some shenanigans. Earbuds, just be careful. You don't want to hurt their eardrums. Because if you speak death, you'll have death. Mm. There is life and death in the power of the tongue. You can build up and you can break down. Just look at a child. Tell a child they're beautiful. They're fantastic. They're wonderful. They're filled with they're the power smart. of God. And you will build them up. Even a dog. Say good boy. Good girl. And you will build them up. There's positive training you can have. But beat a dog. Tell them they're dumb. Tell them they're stupid. See what happens. Beat a child. I've seen what happens. Kids whose minds are, minds are broken forever. But by the grace of God. This modern end time theology is a self-fulfilling uh, uh, prophecy, and it must end today. It must end today. Um, our cousin Tim's in the chat. Hi, Tim. Um, he says, so in our seventh day religion, we believe that you are asleep until Jesus comes when you die. Thoughts. Tim, this is what I would say. That's a whole nother episode. We have friends that also believe that. And I will say this, this is what I've said throughout, uh, since we started Revelation Red Pill Academy and we found out the belief of our friends. Um, there's a lot of Hebrew roots people that have this kind of belief that you stay asleep until you die. And um, the the theology behind, I'm, I'm going to assume, Seventh-day Adventists. The Seventh-day Adventists and our friends with the Hebrew roots. I have a lot of respect are for it. Similar. Are very similar. I have a lot of respect for it and here's why. When we get to Daniel's 70 weeks, there's what's called the gap theory. What you guys do Okay, and the reason why you say that people just sleep is because you don't insert a gap theory, meaning it has to all happen in succession. That's that's very, very biblical. So since you don't see X, Y, Z, or you think you don't see X, Y, Z, then it has to all at least go together. But the simple part answer for that, though, is Paul said to be absent in the body is to be present with the Lord and that we are now seated in heavenly places and we rule and reign with Christ now. And when we die, we don't die. Death. See, here's the thing. The second death has no power over us. And um, and not to, to knock the Seventh-day Adventist, but the Seventh-day Adventists are brand new, just like this Darbyism. They are from the 1700s. They are from the 1850s. It was not ever taught before. And these were Seventh-day Adventists. If you look at their history in the 18, I think it was 1844, they believed Jesus was going to come back. People sold a bunch of their stuff. It didn't happen. So they have all this church and they keep... Um, recharting recharting for Jesus to come back Jesus to come back Jesus to come back and when our focus is co is constantly on Jesus coming back rather than advancing the gospel then we lose the advancement of the gospel let's okay so so that's kind of where that where it's kind of the same but my point is that we too put it all together and we put it all together as having happened. Yeah, exactly. Just, that's, you know, we put it all together. You can't separate it. Right. Post-millennialism puts it all together. The, uh, even you guys put it all together. You just say that it, it, it hasn't happened yet. And premillennialists have to put a bunch of breaks in it in, in for it to work out. 
Yeah. Time after time, when religion seemed almost gone and it was come to its last extremity, then God granted a revival and sent some angel a prophet and raised up some eminent person to be an eminent, uh, an instrument of reformation. Jonathan Edwards was the instrument of New England's great awakening in the 1730s and 40s. He insisted that there would be times of conflict, remissions, and lulls between the sovereign outpourings of the Holy Spirit. A decline in the spiritual moral character of a Christian nation, according to Edwards, is to be interpreted as a preparation of an either greater outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Even secular historians agree that the post-millennial optimism of the first great awakening gave the American colonies the impetus for uh, independence from England. Now, I want to read to you guys some of these hymns from the early church and how powerful they are. So Charles Wesley and John Wesley were brothers. They were uh, number 16 and 17. Could you imagine? Yeah. John Wesley was number 17. This is why I say don't use birth control or you're not going to get another John Wesley. And I think we don't have revival because y'all are aborting your kids and having birth control. And that's the truth. So he wrote in some of his famous verses, number 17. Okay, go ahead. When he first the work begun, small and feeble was the day. Now the word doth sat swiftly run. Now it wins its widening way. More and more it spreads and grows. Every mighty to ever mighty to prevail. Sin's strongholds it's now overthrown. Shakes the trembling gates of hell. Shakes the trembling gates of hell. A similar optimistic exhortation in and uh, many other classic hymns. Lift high his royal banner. It must sing not it. suffer. I can't sing it. No, 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 no. His royal Leah. banner. Oh okay. It must not no, suffer no, no, loss. No, 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 no. From victory unto victory, his army shall gonna, be led. Till every foe is vanquished and Christ One is Lord left. indeed. Stand up, stand up for Jesus. The strife will not be long. This day, the noise of battle. The next day, a victor song. Oh, somebody came back. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> okay, so here. Go, here's another one. Read this one. Okay. Jesus shall reign wherever the sun does his successive journeys run. His kingdom spread from shore to shore till moon shall wax and wane no more. To him shall endless prayer be made and endless praises crown his head. People in realms of every tongue dwell on his love with sweetest song and infant voices shall proclaim their early blessings on his name. That's Isaac Watts. Give him Watts, boys. Jesus shall reign. We know um, joy to the world. Isaac Watts here says, For lo, the, the days are hastening on, but prophet bards foretold, when with the ever-circling years comes round the age of gold, when shall peace shall over all the earth, its ancient splendors fling, and the whole world send back the song, which now the angels sing. That's, it, that's from It Came Upon Him in That oh, You could have just sung that one. That would have let you it sing. It came upon... Okay, so, all right, Second Great Awakening. Okay, we're getting to where the bad stuff starts in a minute. John Jefferson Davis, and we'll kind of stop there once we get to the bad stuff. Uh, John Jefferson Davis noted in his book, Christ's Victorious Kingdom, that one factor that has caused so many theologians in our day to reconsider post-millennialism is that it was the dominant millennial understanding of the 19th century. Not only did it inform the thinking and interpretive Bible, uh, study of the Bible, but it fueled the great social reforms of the 1800s. This was the vision of the Second Great Awakening. Although this movement did not display the theological rigor and the unity of the first great awakening it wasn't as big or as vast some of the most far-reaching social changes this country has ever experienced from the abolition of slavery advances in education and care for the mentally ill came out of this spiritual awakening in fact historians are most almost in unanimous agreement that all of the social reform movements of the 1800s had their roots roots in christian revival 
This is from Charles Finney. Now, the great business of the church is to reform the world, to put away every kind of sin. The Church of Christ was originally organized to be a body of reformers. The Christian church was designed to make aggressive movements in every direction, to lift up her voice and put forth her energies against iniquity in high and low places, to reform individuals, communities, and governments, and never rest until the kingdom and the greatness of the kingdom under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High God until every form of iniquity be driven from the earth. Now, go ahead, and I don't know if you can find this one. And, and let people read that because what I want you to do is I want you to copy and paste that. I got, I'll i just copy you... and paste it and put it. Okay, I you do that. I might be able to fit in the chat. Now, the, do you understand what he was just saying? We have a job to fix the seven mountains, okay? Mm-hmm. Individuals, communities, governments, and never rest. This is Charles Finney. If you call me a heretic, call Charles Finney a heretic. Say are you spreading revival like Charles Finney did in your post, in your premillennial, wow, 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 it's all getting bad? No, you guys want to be involved in the government. You want to change it. Your parents and grandparents went golfing and retired in Florida. Okay? They laid off, they laid off fighting to reform individuals, communities, and governments and never rest until the kingdom and the greatness of the kingdom under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of God until every form of iniquity be driven from the earth. That's my job. That's my calling. And that's what the Revelation Red Pill is all about. To take iniquity as far as the the sea and drown it. And she will beat her chest over this. Uh! (laughs) In the 1800s, most school textbooks stressed the idea of progress that the world was improving due to advance in learning. Many Christians believe it was due to the advancement of the gospel. The gospel. Protestant missions. William Carey founded the Baptist Missionary Society in 1792. Before the Baptists went pre-millennial. Uh, with the purpose of bringing the gospel to India. Carey remembered, is remembered for his famous quote regarding missions. Expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. And you're not going to do that if you think he's coming back tomorrow. Several other missionary societies were founded in England and America in the 1800s. J. Hudson Taylor founded the Inland China Mission, the first faith ministry uh, independent of denominational control that subsisted entirely on independent donations. The mustard seed of the gospel, so small in the beginning, began to finally come to maturity and truly become a home for all the birds of the air. The church became a house of prayer for all nations. As David Livingston, missionary to Africa, preached, missionaries do not live before their time. Their great idea of converting the world to Christ is no chimera. It is divine. Christianity will triumph. It is equal to all it has to perform. And that's another one. If you get a chance to. um, It's hard because uh, they don't let you put the whole thing in there. And also, Ah, FYI, um, guys, normally this kind of thing I would say, oh, I'm just going to put it on the website. The website is 100% down right now. To the point where we're we're praying we're praying Pray over it. Pray over God. that website. We're at ninety one percent. Okay. The power of God in this whole show has been seeping through the computer. That's good. Okay, so Jay, our wonderful computer guy, he's, he's is his web hosting patches. went down. Yeah. Okay. You know, I remember how we were trying to find and we were trying to find a help for he and it didn't a partner. work. So we had we're trying to move our website over to Namecheap, and. We thought we had it moved over, and last night I was like, Michelle, the website's down. And she's like, oh, my gosh, I misread that email. Thank God I have a backup. I know I'm 10 days to, old. It's 15 days old. 15 I'm tr- days it's fine, though. It, it's, 15 days old is better than losing it all of seven I know, years. I know. So this 
overnight, we're working it on. We're working overnight, on it. Overnight, we tried to get this thing, this backup to go up. So in the name of Jesus, y'all speak life with us. And if anybody right has now. a web designer or a person that knows about websites, you may email me. I am looking we're to looking hire to somebody. We're looking to somebody to maybe on the side to help us if we have some trouble. Um, that'd be really great if you guys know somebody. I need somebody that really knows what they're doing, though. Right. Not exactly. just somebody on the side like, oh, I can manage a website. No, I need somebody that knows, like, stuff. Like code. Yes. Okay, I can go in the back door. That'd be really great. But if you could all, like... I'm, I'm totally doing it. My point I is, I like would be the able website to is going to go back up tonight and be perfect working order. What in I'm going to do name. is instead of putting Woo. all of that in the chat, I'm just going to give you guys the link to this and just okay. go scroll sure, down sure, near sure. the bottom and just find it. So okay. I'm putting the link in here and there. And if you're watching it back, I will put the link in the description. Charles Spurgeon. Are you ready for Charles Spurgeon? I love him. I myself believe that King Jesus will reign and the idols will utterly be abolished. But I expect the same power, which once turned the world upside down, will still continue to do it. The Holy Ghost would never suffer the imputation to rest upon his holy name that he was not able to convert the world. Can you imagine? He could convert the world. Charles Hodge. Do you want to read his? As therefore the scriptures teach that the kingdom of Christ is to extend all over the earth. All over the that earth. all nations are to serve all. him. That all people all. shall call him blessed. It is to be inferred that these predictions refer to a state of things which is to exist before the second coming of Christ. This state is described as one spiritual prosperity. God will pour out his spirit upon all flesh. Knowledge shall everywhere abound. Wars shall cease to the ends of the earth. This does not imply that there is to be neither sin nor sorrow in the world during this long period or that all men are to be true Christians. The terror are to grow together with the wheat until the harvest. This means of grace we still be needed will still be needed. Conversion and sanctification will be then what they ever have been. And Charles Hodge, there's some things that I disagree with. But the overarching theme, boom, baby, we in the same boat. We going to the same place. One last one last uh, quote here. Benjamin Breckridge Warfield stated that the world indeed is getting better and better and not worse. Precisely what the risen Lord, who has been made head over all things for his church, is doing through these years that stretch between his first and second comings, is conquering the world to himself, and the world is to be nothing less than a converted world. All conflicts then will be over, and the conquest of the world will be complete before Jesus returns to mm. earth. Mm. Mm. That's the good news. Here's the bad news. At the same time, that Charles Finney is in America, spreading the gospel. The devil is working in England in 1830. And he's working out a theology. Because he can't convince the Christians to give up. Right. To stop being Christians. He can't stop the spread of people coming to know Jesus. But I got to stop them from spreading so far in the world and coming in. And, and, and coming in like on my territory. So how about this? I just get them to stop fighting me how about i just get them to kind of think that if the world gets worse and worse it's god and not me yeah of course ha way to go and it's worked right but where did this come about and in the last few minutes here because i don't think we should go more than three hours i agree we are going to lay the foundation for next week which should probably be next week. Good, yeah. We'll see. Before we do that, though, okay. I do want to address a comment here from Darla. Darla, I'm assuming that what we're saying here doesn't jive with you based on your comments. And that's okay. 
does not have to dive, jive with you. You do not need to believe what we're teaching here. People that want to come, they can come, they can listen, good to go. I am, and I want to say this nicely because I want you to stay. I really truly do. I'm laughing at your assessment here. So please let me read it. Okay. She says, so you're already being punished. Stop teaching false doctrine. I'll make sure everyone knows I finally figured you chicks out. God bless your husbands and children and your separate homes. This sisters still living with your mother act is over. Oh, and your brother. You work there and go home like everyone else. I know your assignment to help push Trump through, but what about the people you've damaged in the process? I do, I do have to expose you. I am a watchman. What, what, what damage? We have husbands. We have Darla. Kids. Lord have mercy. I have children and my brother. I would love my brother from another mother. Honestly, Darla, I'm 39 years I'm old. I'm going to speak that as like life. I have been saving truth. myself that be for marriage for 39 years. I've been wearing this promise ring. It's had to be soldered back together several times. It's missing its tiny little diamonds. My promise ring actually broke because I've worn it since I was 16. If I had children and husband, I would not be here doing this. <laughs> um, I wouldn't. I, I'm sorry. I wouldn't. Isn't it so funny that we have pictures from 2012 with one guy, just our brother, and yeah. we always get him to go with us, and we don't have husbands or kids, that, and nobody, t and nobody gets children. snapshots with us anywhere. Wow, that is a an, a really intense Darla, conspiracy. I'm not sure that out of tonight's show. I think she's just watching to be one of the exposer. Well, no, 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 Darla, think I don't want you to leave. Like, yeah. I want you to stay. Oh, I think she's stay if she's a watcher. I would like for you to go back and watch the first five episodes of Revelation Red Pill. I think tonight's episode so, is not going to be enough to let you would know what anybody we're who here. knows us. Is anybody Personal. in the chat wants to let So our Darla cousin know? Tim was just in for a little bit. Tim, yeah. Do you want to comment? Does anybody that knows us personally that's in the, the Facebook chat want to comment on our marriage status um, and that we go home? <laughs> this is my home. Darla, I wake up so early to come down here and do these shows. I stay up late at I night. I love her outlook, though. Like, I love that. If that's the version Take of... That Take that faith, man. I yeah. cry myself to sleep sometimes because I'm not married and don't have kids. So I would love your statement to be true. Yeah, me too. I, I, I would I'm 39 years old, don't have kids yet. I'm believing that even if I'm the age of Sarah, I'm still going to have children. I would love your statement to Are be true. Are you 39? Um, I'm 39. I am 39, yeah. Uh, Darla says, I followed you for over three years. Darla, then you have to. What is it? Where is this coming from, Darla? This is... I really want it to be true that I'm already married and have kids. And maybe before God, you're right. Spiritually speaking, they're already out there. They're already they're there. done. They're ready to go. That's great. Thanks, Coming Dar soon. I appreciate it, Darla. Um, I love you. Yes, yes, actually, yes, yes. I actually love you. But, but seriously, though, if you've been following us for three years, do us at least the courtesy of watching the first four episodes of the five episodes of the Revelation Red Pill Wednesdays that we're doing. Um to understand what we're saying, because I think you might be missing it. I think you might be missing what we're saying. A little, a little bit. All right. So next week, doom, 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 doom. Darby, Blameth Brethren, C.I. Schofield. And I think that might cover an entire episode. But if we have an opportunity, we might get to how Lindsay 
Left Behind series. The Rapture Doctrine is one of the most new, the recent doctrines. All right. It was, uh, you know, really made popular in the early 1900s. John Nelson Darby invented a, a, a pre-tribulation rapture doctrine around 1830 A.D. All attempts to find evidence of his doctrine before 1830 have failed, with a single exception. Morgan Edwards wrote a short essay as a college paper for Bristol Baptist College in Bristol, England in 1744, where he confused the second coming with the first re resurrection of Revelation 20 and described a pre-tribulation rapture. However, Edwards' ideas, which he admitted were brand new and never taught before, had no influence. I have to laugh. We're sorry. Patriot Gallery says, everyone agree with Darla. We're already standing on faith. We're married. We're already married. We already have kids. Like, this is a faith confession. Everybody stand with Darla that the chicks are going to get married and have kids. Or they, they already are. Uh, Rick from Blessed to Teach, I want to thank you. Aww. Donated 10 bucks and said, Lord, by the power of Jesus' I name, above you, all names, so and by the blood shed for us, by that power and authority, the Resistance Chicks website will come up tonight Woo! in the name of Jesus. Amen. And he says, I can't wait to hear about the website coming back up. Thank if you guys are Rick. not following Blessed to like Teach. He is the best. I love Rick so much. Rick is the most integral man I have ever met in my life. He has a whole following. He's got a whole church over there. You guys got to check out Blessed to following Teach. Following the B2T neighborhood. They we're are, on there. Boom. Yes. They're where it's love at. Love everybody over there. They're fantastic. So thank you for that, Rick. You're the man. So yeah. I had to interrupt because when my mom said, I'm agreeing with Darla. Everybody needs to agree <laughs> with Darla. This is my day. I know, right? <laughs> we agree with Darla. We're married with Jesus. I love it. All right. So um, Darby has had a profound impact on religion today since Darby's secret rapture uh, has infected most conservative evangelical churches. While the official creeds and statements of faith of many churches either reject or are silent about a rapture, uh, neither do they openly condemn the doctrine um, at all here. While not all dispensationalists, and I know that word, where, what the heck is dispensationalist? Well, it's probably what you believe. You just don't know it. So next week we'll get into what that means mm -hmm. uh, and how jo um, uh, John Nelson Darby created this new theory, theology mm -hmm. called dispensationalism, that we are, that there are seven epochs of time right. and God deals with these seven different epochs of time in different ways. Um, it kind of sounds good, but it's not based in the Bible. And, and when you follow these dispensations all over the place, you get really confused. So um, there are a couple false assumptions of the rapture and premillennialism. Number one, that the kingdom of God is distinct from the church. Are you in the kingdom of God? Yes. Are you in the church? Yes. Not according to dispensationalism. The kingdom of God is not as different. No, it's yeah. the same thing. The kingdom uh, is the church, which was established at the day of Pentecost in AD 33. We are the kingdom of God now. Colossians 1, 13 and Revelations 1, 6 and 9. Uh, reviving the Roman Empire. You've heard about that one. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, to keep the prophecies of Daniel 7, 2, 7, 8, and 9 from failing. Now, this is one if you have watched Johnny Enlow. He has a really great way to explain all of this through Daniel. Mm -hmm. Why am I wasting my time? Right. Let's just do the book of Daniel because Daniel's book is so amazing. So amazing that historians say that he had... It, it was not written by Daniel. It's a pseudo uh, 
work because it's too pseudo gospel. Because no he way he predicted, predicted it. literally by name, the Medes and Persians, um, the ba Babylonia, the Medes and Persians, the Greeks, and Rome. Right. And then he would say, uh, and then he said, of these four kingdoms, then a kingdom that will be forever, it's kind of forever, definitely forever, okay, would be taken out of a rock without, by, by God's hand, and take down these kingdoms, and then the kingdom would last forever wow well daniel way to go but people see that that has to be rome in yeah. daniel so okay god you this has got to be a second fulfillment you mm -hmm. got to do it again you got to raise up the roman empire because by well, because that's already it looks like it's already but done it's, we see the same thing happening it'll they'll, they'll probably see this in the list we see the same thing happening when people yeah. say that um, all of the Jews need to go back to Jerusalem and a third temple needs to be built because in order to fulfill Matthew 24, which are already happened in AD 70, then it all has to happen a second time. The Jews go back, another third of them die. And the uh, last the kingdom, remember, had 10 toes, which represented the 10 Caesars or rulers, uh, not 10 additional kingdoms. So we are at three hours. Okay, we're just never going to get things. through all that. No, no, no. Just a couple more things to whet their appetite to okay, what we're going to talk about we're next week. It. Christ will return in one generation from the time Israel became a nation. Now, this That's was, what they this was say. sad. This was sad. People thought because when the nation of Israel was created in 1948, mm -hmm. they're like, because Jesus said one it, generation. it would be a generation in this generation. Everybody looked for 88. Um, and again, these are these you. are people that didn't go to college. They sold off everything that they owned. This was a this was a consistent theme that we have seen. I think we've presented to you guys pretty well tonight. That when you do have some sort of kind of ideology like this, it causes you to implement things in your life. So um, also that they they teach that Israel never actually possessed all the land promised to Abraham, and and all of Israel. Because, and here's the tricky part, the 10 tribes are lost. Mm -hmm. So when they say that all of Israel, they say that it's just the Jews now, but it was promised to Israel mm -hmm. and the, and, and to the 12 tribes. <coughs> so, Excuse but me. there's only Jews left because the right. 10 tribes and the, and, and the, and Judah and Benjamin became one. Okay. So, um, I remember when you asked our Jewish friend what tribe he was from and he was like, uh, I'm a Jew. Judah. <laughs> I'm a Jew. There's, if you don't know this, uh, the tribes of Israel, Israel was separate from Judah and the 10 tribes just kind of vanished into history. And there's a lot of theories on that. Oh yeah. Okay. That's fun. I know. Right. Um, but when you talk about, um, the, the Jews now, now people are like, well, it didn't really prophesy that all of Israel would fulfill Israel. We're just going to go with the Jews now because those are the only people we can find. So we'll bring them in. <laughs> anybody want to come and fulfill this prophecy? We'll take anybody. But, are you but Jewish? Though, are you Jewish? Let's, let's be clear, though. These prophecies are actually very specific about each tribe. Yeah. So God made three promises to Abraham and all three were fulfilled at the time of um, all three were fulfilled. And then we are now. It's really cool. Love the it. seed of Abraham. Mm. And seeds according to the promise i am sorry seed. i'm joining your i'm trying i'm sorry i'm joining your group you're like the little sister that no one wants to we come. are now and this is something interesting I'm here you can't kick me out and I'll, and I'll end with this for you guys to chew chew on this what we're going to get into next week 
is this idea that God has a separate plan for Jews. Hmm. And Israel, and the funny thing is, is that nowhere in the Bible does he have a separate plan for Jews. It's always Israel. But because we can't find everybody else, we just have to call them the Jews. <laughs> okay? <true>. So, <laughs> it's kind of... You guys know... Okay. But if you rebrand the nation of Israel, they've, they've taken the name. They're good to go. <laughs> Rebranding. We are Israel. So we're good. That's why it fits. Because we call ourselves Israel. Mm -hmm. So it fits for us. Okay. All right. So the, the poor other 10 tribes. Poor 10 tribes. We can't find them. Forget it. Why are they even important? Well, actually, there's a whole other belief systems that are like, I'm part of the 10 tribes. I'm joining y'all. So, but anyways. All right. So... Jesus talks about an olive tree, okay? And he says that those Jews that didn't believe are going to be cut off of the olive tree. Now, if they believe again, they are the real branches, the original branches, mm -hmm. and are more easily put back on. Mm -hmm. We are wild branches, and are grafted in. Mm -hmm. Okay. But we're one tree. So that the promise of Abraham may come on the Gentiles. Yep. And through Jesus. Yep. With And I understand this is the parable where he's like, listen, what is it to you? You're like, hey, you, you we've been working for you all day. And you're paying us the same as these people that that you called in at the last minute. He's like, what's it to you? You agreed to this. We were the people that showed we up. We didn't have to do yeah. the ceremonial law. We're kind of, we're like, hey. Showing we, up late to the game. Yeah, but we're here. Did a couple hours of work. And I'm so great. And this, this is something for you to be grateful for. I am so grateful for Jesus. That we don't have to. How many laws are there? Like 300 and something that you got to keep? You got to memorize lot. them? Yeah, I don't know. Um, I'm grateful that I don't have to sit for five or seven days out of the week if I'm menstruating or whatever in, in a tent. Women'strating. Women'strating. Yeah. In a tent. Outside of the house. Outside of the camp. Because it's unclean. I'm grateful that I don't have to make sacrifices. I'm grateful for you, Jesus. I'm grateful that I'm grafted in and I'm not doing replacement theology that the church has now replaced the Jews or replaced Israel. Don't you understand? Somebody who's adopted into the family does not replace the original children. Right. This is not replacement theology, but I'm part of the family and so are you. And we're part of the promises. Amen. And just as Abraham was promised a certain land, but then he said, your, your descendants would be the number as the sand of the sea. So obviously God wasn't saying this little piece of Middle Eastern land that you have to, you know, 613. Thank you, Linda. <laughs> Good job. That you have to irrigate, you know, and you're going to put all the world's population of Christians in this little strip of land. I think we inherit, the whole earth, you know what the Bible says? We inherit the planet. 
We inherit the planet. Let me read one more comment. And if you guys have any questions or comments, we'll try to get to like one or two. If you've got them, otherwise we're going to sign off. Michael says, in 1988, I was so convinced that we were in the end times that I would not be seeing people get saved anymore. I begged God to let me die. He put me through five weeks Whoa. in the hospital. Finally, they did exploratory surgery and found that originally my appendix had ruptured. Whoa. I had to go through all of that to learn this is not the end Whoa. yet. God had much more work for me to do. Now I am actively leading Hispanics to Christ. Whoa. Well said, Michael. You asked God to die because of this? Wow. Did he just say he mm -hmm. asked God to die because of his end time theology? Yeah. You know how many radical things I've heard from people? Joy getting pregnant at 15. She had a baby at 16. Yeah. Bruce Gore saying I was getting ready just to not go to college, not do anything. Leave. He was going to leave it. Leave. And you asked God to die? This is why I want Rick you says, yes, 13, confirming the 613. Jeez. How do we not know that? Psalm the laws 2, you got to keep. Thank you, guys. Ask me and I will make the nations your inheritance. And the ends of the, the ends earth, of the whole earth, the planet, your possession. So, if that is something we're allowed to ask, I'm going to ask it. Linda says, "I just went through Leviticus in my read the Bible in a year plan." Ugh. Okay. Well, aren't Why? you glad you don't have to keep all of that? Yeah. Because of Jesus. All right. Anything else, guys? Um, I don't know if we have any more questions, but I will say this, guys. Um, I want to thank you for tuning into this series. It I means a lot to Lee and I to see you guys come week after week after week. And it's so fun. All of your messages, and I know I started off with this, but that come throughout the week that I see, like, oh, my gosh, this opens my eyes. We, we win now. We don't just win after Jesus comes back. We win now, and we win until he comes back. Like, we just keep winning. We win into infinity. The kingdom of God is expanding. At the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. So many people are sending me messages like, oh, my gosh, I'm so set free now. My whole life is like, the world is your oyster now. Like, everything has changed. And so I just want to thank you guys for all the feedback. It really, really means a lot to Leah and I. Share this video with everyone that you can. Um, Sherry says, I'm finishing up Judges. Michael says, yes, I really did think that um, and ask God to, to let me die. That was That's really awful. Mm -hmm. um, something exciting happened to it us. says 100%. Well, that means it's uploaded now. I gotta. That's good news. That's very good news. Now I gotta figure out what to do with it at that point. Um, Linda says, "Listening to the guys' testimony was like hearing my kids over the years. I have a lot of cleanup to do with my kids." That was you mean last week with David? Oh wow, it's really good. Um, today something exciting happened for Leah and I for years, and, and really? somebody had left in the in the chat. Um, do you know of a reputable? And actually, I think it was Christy who left, uh, unfortunately. Uh, do you have any reputable place to buy gold and silver? Ah. So we had we sent a letter. Patriot Gallery asked us to send a letter, send a letter to ask ITM Trading if they had an affiliate program for podcasters because for six years we have been referring you guys to them. That's Lynette Zhang, ITM Trading on YouTube. She is the gold and silver guru gal. She's amazing. We it's had Lynette so on our show once. And Early then on. we had her scheduled again and something happened and we could never get a hold of them ever again. And so we were trying, we've been trying to get a hold of them and trying to get a hold of them and trying to get a hold of them. And um, we got a phone call today. So they called us after getting our letter and they said, yes, we actually do have a, an affiliate program. We just started it six months ago and we would love to partner with you guys. So... Um, granted, we were going to continue to tell you to go to ITM Trading. Um, we also were talking about going with Miles Franklin because our friend LW, Liberty Warrior Nation, is with Miles Franklin and Andy um, Big. 
Biggs. Not Biggs. What's his last name? I don't remember. Um, Andy over there is really, great. Is, is really amazing. But because Patriot Gallery has been asking us for six years, can you get an affiliate with ITM Trading? And they called today. We were like, okay, we better stick with them because that's who Patriot Gallery is our gold and silver gal. So and, she, and this is the one that she's been asking us to go with. So. ITM Trading is going to be for those of you who are wanting to move your savings mm -hmm. over somewhere. Or an IRA. And you want somebody to walk you through. So or an inheritance there's, or something. There's two different ways to do gold and silver. We don't have to get into all this. I just wanted to tell them the okay. excitement part. We don't have time to one get into it. One is buying it yourself. And one is if you're trying to invest in it, you want somebody to walk you through it. So because it's hard if you've got a hundred thousand dollars, which not everybody does. I get that. Well, in your retirement. In your retirement, you're like, I don't even know how I get out of the system with this. Yeah. I I see what's coming, but I don't know how to leave the system with this. They will do that for you. They will walk you through it. They will help you, and they will help you be led by God. And so that's what. Um, I'm really excited so about. So you're going to tell them resistance chicks sent you. You can now, and I think even, even as of right now, we've had the conversation with the young man there. Even named if you Justin. tell them now, you can tell them now. The resistance, resistance chicks sent, sent me. Um, they they literally, if you have, if you're going to buy more than a thousand dollars worth of precious metals, go with ITM Trading. Mm -hmm. Just give them a call. Um, if you're going to do less than a thousand. Continue to go to SD Bullion, like we've been telling you consistently. We don't Silver. get a kickback from that. Just go to SD Bullion. Well, with gold being about two thousand mm -hmm. dollars, um, then you can do SD Bullion one purchase yourself. Exactly. If Easy. you're going to do that, right? You don't need somebody to walk you through something. ITM trading is for right? people that are like, whoa. And you're, if you're going to do if you're going to do less than two thousand, you're probably going to do silver again. You don't need somebody to walk you through that. Right. You go to SD Bullion or something. And they will help, and you can get junk silver and eagle. Like, what do they call the silver dollars? Yeah, the silver eagles. Silver dollars, and that's what that's what we suggest people do who have, you know. And you're just trying to to invest here, there, and there. We just it's cheaper on shipping to do it that way. But a lot of you have asked me. I've had a lot of questions. Hey, lot, yeah. how do I move over my retirement account? And I'm like, I don't know. I have I I, I do a little silver, do a little gold, but you you um. ITM Trading will help you to diversify because Lynette is awesome. Diversification, barterability, land, wealth preservation, wealth preservation, and then keeping some cash on hand. So she, she she she's all she has. Um, she will she will talk to you about land. She'll, they'll talk to you about um, prepping items. Like they will talk to you about all of those things, and that's why we love them, and that's why I've been sending you guys there for years consistently yeah so we've been tending you there for like six years and now we get to be buddies so sherry says i moved my retirement to gold and silver last year i went with the company that mike adams plugged okay so that's awesome i love that uh sherry says i'm going to be a guest on a podcast this week i'm going to plug this show awesome praise god thank you okay so we're going to sign off for tonight i hope that you guys have enjoyed this um i have we want you to tune in every single week i think Here's the deal. We're going to get back to finishing Matthew 24 and getting into Matthew 25, and we're going to bring the fellas back on for that. We're not sure if that's going to be next week or the week after. So you just, just come and you'll have a good time, regardless of what it is. Um, but I think that on the history of modern end times theory and the history of what the church has believed throughout the ages is going to be a long series. Yeah, it's not going to be all at once because we're going to do a whole series on Left Behind and the videos. And But I and think that we're like going to have to, we can't go, we're going to have to give you, a lot of More. you guys are waiting for scriptures. We need to do like Daniel 70 weeks. We'll insert that. So if it seems like we're jumping around, it's to kind of give you an overview. But please understand that the depths of this 
goes so, so deep. When our website gets put back up, you guys can go to um, the Revelation Red Pill Academy, mm -hmm. and you can see all the different. Um, you can watch those right now on brighteon.com. Go to our channel and click on playlists. Yeah. This and the red, the academy is there also on Facebook. So we have the playlist for both of these. We got an email. I'm going to read it on Sunday, I think, from a guy in Belgium that knows David. Sorensen, who had him last week. in 2021, he went through our entire Revelation Red Pill Academy, and um, he wasn't sure about the way David was, you know, believing on things. And when he went through our academy, he said, you went line by line, precept by precept. I get it now. Um, and so that made me feel so good that somebody literally went through, um, went through that. And so I'm, it's just, yeah, it makes me really happy. All right. I think that that covers us for the evening. Remember, it's not just a conspiracy theory. If it's actually the truth, we love you. God loves you. God bless. We will see you on Friday for our uh, weekly roundup of news. Mm -hmm. Last week we had recorded an episode mm -hmm. and it didn't get, they didn't get a chance to play it on brighteon.tv. Um, so reminder, because the website might not be up by Friday, brighteon.tv at six and then the after show on Rumble at seven. Um, last but not least, I didn't tell this to Leah yet. We were supposed to be on Real America's Voice today. We're going to be on tomorrow, bright and early, very early. Bright and early. Okay. And then we're going to be on with Dr. John Diamond. So they're in East Palestine. And somebody tweeted out that they are feeling really sick and, and getting headaches and stuff. Oh, no. Um, Dr. John Diamond. Now, I understand that this episode is going to go down in the histories, and this is not going to matter to you at all later on. Um, but we're going to be on tomorrow on the 30th with Dr. John Diamond on Bright on TV at 9 a.m. with Leo and Nancy Martin. So... There you go. All right. We love you guys. God loves you. God bless. I'm so glad that you were here. You guys didn't have any questions, so I'm very proud of you. <laughs> I think some of the videos that we did before, like, I think there was one that we did that was four hours. Oh, really? Because I think somebody broke it in two. I don't know. We did Schofield's reference Bible in two episodes, two hours each. No, I think we did them. We broke them up. It's a lot. All right. That's the end of the night. We love you guys. We'll see you next time. Can't wait on Revelation Red Pill Wednesdays. You've got a lot of homework to do. Go watch all the other episodes. Don't forget Monday night's Kingdom Roundtable on Rumble. It's awesome. Be there every square. We'll catch you guys next time. You got my name.